Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Where are we going to sing? <laughs> you know I'm going to use all this in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the pubcast. Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I am one of your hosts, Byron Pace. Uh, the other host who's normally on here is my brother, Daryl. Uh, but I haven't got back to Scotland and the crazy time zone difference means that he is not here to record this intro with me. But he will be back on the very next show, uh, which is a brilliant podcast I recorded here, but I'll tell you more about that at the end. It is the 12th of January. It is 2020, which makes this the very first podcast of the year. And we have a great friend of the podcast and a great friend of ours, Sam Thompson, to kick off the year. He has kicked off the last two years, so this makes it the third time that he has started the new year on the show. It's an eclectic mix of conversation. Uh, we started off taking a Q&A of various people who wrote in to Sam after putting up a social media post, uh, asking anybody if they would like to ask questions for the interview. And then we dig into a lot of relevant topics, particularly uh, around stuff that's going on in the UK. We talk about the trophy hunting ban, which incidentally, uh, if you're listening to this, the consultation deadline is the 25th of January. So listen to the podcast and then act quickly to get your response in to the DEFRA consultation to ban the import export of trophy products in inverted commas uh, into the UK. We explain it in much more detail here and there's a lot of stuff online about it now. Uh, so do not delay in acting. I expect every single person inside or outside the UK to submit something at least to the DEFRA consultation. The last few days I have been in Texas at the Dallas Safari Club convention. We've been having a lot of meetings with the Modern Huntsman team trying to get stories and pull together uh, the structure of the next volume of Modern Huntsman, which is all going to be focused on Africa. Of course, Modern Huntsman are our supporter for this podcast. Uh, they've supported us for quite a long time now, and uh, we backed uh, the concept of the publication from the very, very beginning. Volumes one through four have just raised the game every time, and that is what we're hoping to do with the next volume, all focused on Africa. If you haven't seen it, you need to go and check it out. So go to the Modern Huntsman website and have a peruse through volumes one to four and uh, get your hands on it. Every single person who we put it in their hands over the weekend were, were blown away with what the team have managed to achieve. Uh, and it's a testament to the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes and how much they are helping to change and shift the narrative and have some of these uncomfortable conversations inside and outside the hunting hunting community. It goes both ways. I'm going to keep this intro brief because it's a rather long podcast today. So I'm going to continue by giving a shout out to our Patreons. First of all, thank you very much to every single person who donates to the podcast. It all makes a massive difference. It allows us to, to reach out and go and do more face-to-face -face interviews with brilliant minds from around the world tackling some of the most pertinent and important topics that face us today in, in the wider world, in the great outdoors. So I'm going to give 
a call out to our top tier patrons, which include Richard Stevens, Richard McNeil, James Marchington, Ronnie Speakman of RDContracting.co.uk, Chris Griffith, John Henry Pete, Tom McRae, the team at South Ayrshire Stalking, and last but by no means least, James Benjamin Normandale, although he is our latest top tier uh, patron. So thank you very much. One more shout out before I mention the winner of the Guess the Sound competition is that the Northern Shooting Show, which is the first show of the UK calendar that we go to and beyond doubt one of our favorite shows of the year is happening on friday the 8th to saturday the 9th of may 2020 Uh, you can go online to the northern shooting show.co.uk and get your early bird tickets now there's going to be an area like there was the last couple of years where there's going to be debates and talks sort of half of it's inside half of it's outside it's a great crowd an amazing atmosphere the team who put the show together um, do a brilliant job and they they really care about how hunting and shooting sports are perceived, uh, and they do a brilliant job of taking that into account in the way that they showcase the event. So Northern Shooting Show, May 8th to the 9th, 2020. Just get yourself down there. Even if it's a bit of a drive, it is absolutely worth it. And lastly, the winner of our Guess the Sound competition, which is always an animal sound of some sort, uh, the first time we put it out, A lot of people got that it was an owl, but not the correct type of owl. So we ran it over to the podcast that was out just before the new year, and we had a couple of correct entries. So the sound that you heard was a barn owl, a British barn owl. And the correct answer came from an American, uh, Alex W. I don't actually know his surname. Uh, The Instagram handle is Cap. I think it's short for Captain underscore Alex, C-A-P-N underscore Alex. So congratulations, Alex. You got the answer correct. If you want to reach out to us, we will get a volume four of Modern Huntsman out to you. Of course, we want to start 2020 the way we mean to go on. So we're going to give everybody a chance to win another copy of Modern Huntsman, which we now do on every show. It'll be the latest copy, volume four. And all we're going to do on this one... Don't worry, the animal sound is going to come back on the next show, but I figured that since it is the start of the year, I would love to hear from you as to your hopes for this year with regard to wildlife conservation. So if you want to email in the show, that is great, podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. I will also put up a post on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook, and you're welcome to comment underneath that, or you can direct message us on each platform if you'd rather it not be public. And I'll have a read through those, and yeah, I think we'll probably have a discussion with my brother, and we will pick somebody out of the list who has told us what their hopes for conservation is in the next year. We will read it out, and you will win a copy of Modern Huntsman Volume 4. So without any further delay, we're going to get right into the podcast with Sam Thompson. Sam Thompson. Welcome back to the Into the Wilderness podcast as he takes a slug of his beer. Yes, we are sat in Sam's house in Inverness. I think this is my third beer. I've lost track, Uh, but he did cook a rather marvelous meal for me. And we also have chocolate and the rest of the keg of beer. So I think we're in a pretty good place to start the podcast. I, I agree. I think I'm I'm pleased this is now my third appearance. Yes. And podcast. now, if I get this right, you were the first podcast in 2018 of the year. 
the first podcast in 2019 of the year. Was it really? And if I get the timing right, you will be the first podcast of 2020. Always winning. You know what that means? It means that just this is now the routine. So yeah. every, every year you're going to have to be the first January podcast. It's really nice as well because it's like now you're really international and you go all over the world doing cool stuff. It's quite nice <laughs> that we get like a little catch up. Yeah. Where you come back. I speak haven't to seen you for a while, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. I just like the fact that it's taken me three years to finally influence the podcast in that we're now like, we've got a lovely, comfortable sofa and we've got a load of beer. Yeah, I know. It's pretty good, isn't it? So we should call it the pubcast. The only problem was that after, because I arrived, I was actually quite thirsty. Two beers disappeared rather rapidly, which meant that I needed to eat dinner and have a cup of tea so that at least my words were being strung together so correctly. So it's, it's now half past nine at night, but yes, we'll manage. That's past my A couple of consummate professionals like us. So I'll tell you how we're going to start, because you had the rather marvellous idea of putting out uh, something on Instagram saying, would anybody like to ask a question because I'm going on the Into the Wilderness podcast? And I should have done exactly the same thing, but uh, I forgot. But you have identified half a dozen questions out yeah, of the it, list that you were sent. I'd love to claim credit for it, but it actually wasn't my idea. It oh, wasn't? No, after the last time I came on, because when I come on the podcast, I like receive a brief douse of your fame. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I get the, the shadow from your candle. <laughs> Um, for, 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 sort of, for sort of a few minutes until someone more interesting turns up. And people always ask me some interesting questions. And somebody mentioned last year that uh, I sh- we should do like a Q&A thing. Yeah. So because I am a consummate professional, uh, and I was actually talking to somebody about it the other day, I did ask uh, my, my measly followers on Instagram, who are all very nice people. And I actually, I was really surprised that quite a few people did send in questions. <clears throat> okay. So I've identified. So we've, so we've got, never we've never started a podcast like this before. We're, we're going to be start with the Q and A. So let's do beer, it. Beer is just such a such an innovator. Um, <laughs> it greases like the wheels. Out, I'd like to point out that this podcast is sponsored by Adnams <laughs> Southwold Ghost Ship, which is a citrus pale ale. I have to say, it is rather good. Obviously, now well, it, it's delicious, and I think that alcoholic sponsorship should be a, a direction you pursue. Um, so we've got six questions uh, from my Instagram followers, which makes me sound very grand. There was a couple of more questions, um, but I sort of picked my favourite six because I thought it might go on forever otherwise. And if I haven't picked your question, because there is a couple that I didn't um, that I'm that I'm not going to read out, uh, and I'll I'll I, I've messaged those people back. You reply already. I've replied to them individually, uh, not because their questions weren't any good. Um, I just felt that they were a bit more like person specific. Okay. Like I feel it was a bit more like yeah. It wasn't you as you think maybe the, the general audience world. would get much out of it. Yeah. So, <laughs> what do you use to groom your hair? With? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. What is your What is your favourite pint and chocolate combination? <laughs> well, we've established that tonight. <laughs> we have. Uh, so the first question is from A R Bradley twenty one, who asks. How do we as a community best coordinate? This is a bit heavy, actually, for a first one. Shall we start? We'll start with something else. Yeah, okay. Start with something else a bit We're lighter, coming back to you, AR Bradley sounds, 21. We are. Uh, well, that's also quite heavy. Uh, that's also a bit heavy. Hang on. We've got some lighter ones. Um, right, okay. We'll, we'll start with a light one. Um, from Tom Starks. Starks, plural. Uh, how do you decide what equipment to buy, and how do you choose where to buy it from? Byron, obviously, because you're prolific, you now <laughs> people are people are giving you kit left, right, and centre. Um, but do you want to go first, and then, and then so I'll how do answer. I decide what kit and where to buy? Yeah. It from? I, do you know what? 
I would love to say just go read reviews. But no, I definitely wouldn't do that. I, no, that's what I'm saying. I would love to yeah. say that. But unfortunately, I think that what reality has taught me is that you uh, have to rely on two things. One thing is trying stuff out for yourself and finding out that it's shit. Uh, or having good friends who genuinely use the stuff as it's supposed to be used and asking their advice and what other people think of things. And that is really the, the best way to the best way to do it. Because the other thing to remember is, you know, something that works really well in North America might not work well in Drizzly, Scotland. That is very true. Uh, so it's not even like, well, that's a terrible piece of gear here and so it's terrible everywhere. It just might not be appropriate for the environment that you're in. Uh, And so handle stuff yourself would be the first thing. Don't mail order things unless you've had a chance to put your hands on it first. Um, But also ask other people that you you know or trust or do like what you're doing here. And I mean, we we field a lot of questions that come to our Instagram or Facebook where people are asking about a particular rifle or a particular jacket or whatever, if they may have seen us use it. Or even if they haven't, just like, have you come by this before and I try and give the most honest answer that I can for it I know someone actually that bought a Bagara rifle off the back uh, of one of your I know a couple of people actually have done that um, and you know I wrote that review probably five or six years ago now yeah I think um, for me to weigh in I would I, I would kind of agree with Byron that reviews in the in the printed press or online everybody's very aware of people being sponsored and people being gifted equipment and I'm the first to admit that I as as menial as I am and as and as small my following is have have been given stuff before um and I think I think I think it is it is really difficult to give I think a, a big problem with reviews and also people just saying that they like it generally whether they're professionals doing a review or just people that are using stuff um there can be like a really awkward I had this with a pair of boots a couple of seasons ago where a mate of mine asked me what I thought of them and I'd just done a season and they'd been really good and I was really they're really comfy I was really happy with them so I was like yeah they, you know they're worth a shot blah 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 boots are like a proper stickler as well because yeah. good so boots can work really... for some people and maybe don't work yeah for and uh, I, I, some people are really I think like I, I'm quite hard on footwear I think I don't know if it's just because I'm big and heavy or where I'm wearing it or whatever but I, I'm quite hard on boots and some people talk about like getting six years out of a set of Mindles if I get two years out of a set of boots, I'm really happy. Um, but, you know, you, you, you say to someone, oh, yeah, absolutely, I really like that. And then actually three months later, the things, you know, the the boots were leak. one of the boots was leaking, and suddenly you're like, oh, God, you know, someone's gone and spent 250 quid on a set of yeah. boots on my recommendation. So I think I think it's really hard. I think you, you're right in that you trust, trust, trust people that you know is always a good thing. Definitely with stuff like rifles and scopes. And optics, I think handling them is a, is a really makes big a difference. big difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I really like like a binoculars, but I actually find they hurt my eyes after a while. I don't really know why. Oh, really? But yeah, I get this. Like, I, I just if I'm like in grey light, if I'm looking through Leicas for a long time, I'll start to like get eye strain. Whereas I don't with others, and that's a really weird. I wonder if that's the light spectrum it lets through because they've got quite a a reddy orange coating on them, so they're reflecting yeah. that back. Right, Whereas okay. if you look at a pair of Swarovskis, they're a green coating. So yeah. green is the light well, spectrum that, they're reflecting that, back. That sounds very logical. And I, my Swarovskis do me very well. So it's it's really hard because obviously it's all really personal. I think um, I, th- I think there are 
and I'm not just saying this because I wrote you wrote reviews as well. I used to. Um, I've kind of stopped doing them now. Have you? I I, I, I wrote got, I, got I wrote a little review column uh, every quarter, which I quite like doing because it's quite easy. Uh, that's obviously not why I like doing it. I like doing it because because <laughs> it challenges me. <laughs> I love the industry. No, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, definitely not because I'm mercenary and I like earning money every now and then. Um, but yeah, I would I would say that there is there is definitely reviews. Reviews can be really useful, and I think. Um, it's always good. I would say that, especially if you if you know people that are using Kit a lot, no matter what they're doing, it's always worth listening to them. I and it's s- just when I said like, don't necessarily re- 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 yeah. read reviews. It was more, don't use that as the sole basis for you buying. Absolutely, something. absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it's sort of slightly not related, but I remember like when I was little or when I was younger that rod tests and trout. Do you remember the rod tests and trout and salmon? Oh yeah, yeah, with like all the ratings. Eighteen rods all compared. I used to read it yeah. religiously. So did I. And it's weird because actually now I couldn't think of anything less relevant because I know that I have a style of doing things that only suits certain I things. I wouldn't read one of them anymore. No. And it's funny how things like that change. But well, that's I, I think it's an age thing though as well. Like you want to find yeah. out I, you're, yeah, you're buying think, rods at that age. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I bought a fishing deal. rod, but it was a period where I was buying a rod like every year. Yeah. No, I had that as well. So my my answer to Tom Stark is how do I decide what equipment to review? I think as well you get to a stage where you know you like certain things. I can look at a bit of kit like the design, especially with like knives or something like that. I know what I like in a knife, and so I can see something and be like, "Yep, that ticks the boxes. I expect that'll be good." But what I would say about the second part of your question, I think, is actually more interesting. Oh, where to buy? Which yeah. is where to buy stuff because I'm a great. So I buy virtually all anything to do with rifles uh, or or uh, reloading equipment because I, I really reload a lot of ammunition. Um, I I I use one. I use Callum Ferguson at Precision Rifle Services for everything. Um, he he built my main rifle as well, um, and he's you know I will I will go to him no matter what because the level of service as is indeed phenomenal. do a lot of people in this part of the world <laughs> absolutely and uh, yeah there's a lot of people that swear by him and I think that's really important that if you can find if you can find someone that a you get on with and that speaks your language and it, it you get on with I think that goes a long way and if the service is good then I think that's good and I would always say as well that. Um, some of the larger chains are perhaps not the advice you'll get in big shops I think can quite often be quite questionable there's very few gun shops I'll listen to yeah. because I always question and it's maybe me being cynical but I just think that you need to, people that work in shops want to sell kit and they've got to shift the you, kit that, yeah, they exactly. got, that they're you holding need, you need someone um, that either is very picky about what kit they put in their shop like Callum uh, and, and others or you just need to know who you trust and actually who you can also take something back to and go god this really doesn't work for me yeah. and you've got that relationship so it's great if they're local we're really lucky both of us that although we live a part of the world where there isn't a huge amount of people we have probably some some pretty good gun shops especially yeah. for especially for stalking and rifle stuff which i know down south is a bit harder to find yeah if you've got somewhere good local um i'm probably not a good person to ask about this because just of the nature of the work that i've done over the last decade if i really need something although i'm paying for it i very often just phone up the gun manufacturer yeah, or, exactly. or the and distributor of it and yeah. I, I get them because i've had relationships for years um, although the one um, place that I will go to and ha- do go to whenever I really need something that I can't fulfill in that way is Alan Rowan down south. Right. Um, the service there has always been am- amazing. And I, I bought my Schultz and Larson rifle from them um, years ago, which is probably still my favorite rifle that I personally own. 
Yeah. And their service is immaculate. And I think that's it. I think so much of all kit, like especially especially clothing because of the different temperatures that people run at in inverted commas. Some people... Yeah, some people run hot. Some people, some people <laughs> like run a car. hot. Some people run cold. Um, and I think it's really hard to recommend... I, th- I think recommending kit is, is a bit of a minefield. And I think... Um, like I say, you meet so many people and, uh, oh, well, what about this? Oh, well, that's an absolute, that's a heap. I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. And then someone else who's just got just as much experience, spends just as much time doing the thing, can't see past it. So it's it's, it's like cars or anything, isn't it, I suppose? Um, but yeah, my, my recommendation is like, try and get a relationship with a local, with a local company or a local person and try and, if you support them, I think, in my experience, if you can support them, uh, they normally got your back when yeah, something exactly. goes wrong. They're, hopefully, they're going to be on your side. Um, so, should we go to? Should we go? Yes, to hit up another I think question. That was quite a, I think that was good. Uh, I'm impressive. not sure if that was maybe the answer he was looking for. Like, go here and buy this, um, but no, you can't do that. Other than, yeah. other than, like I say, I have no problem. Two, the two, probably the two shops that I deal with the most are clothing wise, Finn and Game in the Borders, and Callum for all my rifle stuff and all my optics. Which is in Scotland. So if you don't live in Scotland, uh, you probably need to find yeah. somewhere local to you. Or use the internet. Yes. And they both feature on the internet. Both of those shops. Uh, let's go to something a bit heavier now because uh, it's a bit, it's a bit um, chossy, and I'd like to get out of the way because I'm a bit worried about it. Cause <laughs> I think Byron's going to have a much better answer than me. Uh, how do we, as a community, we're back to AR Bradley twenty? Oh, okay, right. So you, we're going to the old, heaviest one. Good we old have. Anthony. Uh, do I need another sip of beer for this one? <laughs> how do we, as a community, best coordinate our response to the DEFRA consultation on Ooh. trophies? I have to say, I am very in capitals. She all know as a British person is I mean that shows some serious rage. <laughs> I am I am I am That's very a... in capitals disappointed by the shooting. Hang on, what, hang on, I want to establish what's in capitals. The very or just disappointed? The very. Just it's, the very. It's 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 nicely done because it's not shouty. Yeah. Like it's just strong emphasis put on the fact that he is very disappointed by the shooting organization's performance to date, particularly post the general licenses fiasco. Do you want to go first? Um, you went first last time. I could go first. Yeah, well, I, I would. Well, I, I'm going to say this. Like, go on. So he's been very disappointed by the the response from the community, and by which uh, he means the organisations who are supposed to speak for the community. And I think that it is without a shadow of a doubt because we mentioned it on the last podcast. Uh, the response to this particular consultation that he mentions, the import slash export. Um, trophy hunting ban uh, we can dig into a little bit more about what it means has been frankly shite from the hunting I don't think community. it's been shite I don't think there's been oh, well, it's I've, shite I've because it's been non-existent yeah. uh, um, meanwhile you know the papers and all of the the organisations and people who are trying to push this through have been very vocal and have been in the papers every single week and we have completely failed to address the situation at all I think again without without treading old ground which is always I, I think I think it's worrying that we we sort of invariably do, but we talked about this on the last podcast that how our organisations work, and I I'm not I'm not I, I, and it's embarrassing because it does affect me, and I should know a lot about it, but um, I'm not as up to speed as I should be on this this potential ban. It's come in the stalking season, which is always a bit of a nightmare for anything for because me. everyone's busy. Yeah, and I also didn't have any signal, <laughs> <laughs> so the Parliament could burn, and I probably wouldn't notice. Um, who, who's no, bringing in rural broadband in the next election? That's what you need to... Nobody to where I was this season. <laughs> I can tell you that, but nothing. A road would be a good start. Um, 
I I think it's that that thing that again we're we're in that situation where uh, I I don't know whether it's about coordinating our responses, Anthony, or whether it's about us lobbying the organisations to do more or us taking it into our own hands uh, and and doing more. What what is it's the same every time things seem to come up is that we we are this reactionary force and and we maybe shouldn't be and we should be this objective um, pro active force which we which we don't seem to be and i think we're probably getting better at it in some ways and we're getting worse in it other ways but it's it, it it it's 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 a big old fish to fry isn't it it so, is and you know i think that this uh this particular topic has been very difficult in that uh, basically no one wants to tackle it because it's it's so broad sweeping uh, it's dealing with species and countries that are very far removed from where we are here. And so I think the initial reaction when something comes out like this, uh, and when it first came out, the discussion from Zach Goldsmith was, uh, and the species that he highlighted was elephants and lions. And the classic notion of what trophy hunting is, it's forgivable to some extent that organizations and people here in the UK where those species don't live uh, could kind of brush it off and say, well, yeah, it not really affect us. We have our own battles to Absolutely, fight, yeah. right? But the problem is that the implications of what they're suggesting and, in fact, the detail uh, of what the consultation currently, the, the detail within the consultation now is much further reaching than that. Because if we accept that what they're trying to portray, which is that the notion of uh, trophy hunting, which in its broadest terms is the keeping of a byproduct of an animal that you have hunted as a memento, as a trophy, then where does that line get drawn? Uh, if you excuse the pun. Yeah. Uh, you know, Is it li- quite literally a lion's skin and skull, uh, elephant tusks? Or is it just the antlers of a red deer? attached to its skull, of which we export, it seems to be probably half, give or take, of all the red deer stags that we shoot in this country. And the detail of the consultation is such, or what's open right now, is that that potentially could be considered. It seems very unlikely to me. I think that uh, some of the common sense will prevail and if there is if it does indeed go through very much depends on which government come in after the 12th of december there may be some restrictions on the imports of certain animals possibly from appendix one and two cites appendix one and two uh, it seems incredibly unlikely to me that it would be the export of you know roe deer or fallow or red deer or whatever and particularly red deer where we're sitting here in scotland and kind of heart of red deer country uh, but that doesn't change the fact that it's still possible And it concerns me that we as a community and in terms of the organizations are not more concerned about the implications of this. Yeah, I think, I I think so. I mean, my, I've had a few conversations around it since I've come back from the wilds, so to speak at the end of uh, my, uh, I was on a three month contract in the middle of nowhere with no signal this year. Um, And I think there's a, I think the main reason that people are aware the field sports channel put up yeah, quite a good, quite a comprehensive piece about it, and I saw a few things on social media about it. Um, but the conversation within professional stalking circles that I occupy, inhabit, what I don't know what you'd say, talk to, 
uh, it's not particularly, nobody's particularly aware of it. Just interestingly, while you were um, talking to then, I googled the trophy hunting Oxford English Dictionary definition, which is the activity of hunting and killing an animal in order to display part or all of their bodies as trophies. So that is... I mean that's that like you say that's a set of antlers. It's a skin. It, it, it's any body part. Yeah. So, but what's more, what's more interesting than that to me is that when you put that when you Google that, what comes up is uh, the the poll to ban it on the Parliament website. That's the For top. The DEFRA. When you uh, oh, no? on researchbriefings.files.parliament.uk, okay, that's the top result. A PDF about it. When you put in for the definition, there's then an independent article. Uh, banning trophy hunting won't protect animals, scientists warn. That was on the BBC, wasn't it? Yeah, there's then one on the Times, there's then one in the Guardian, and I just think it is telling, as you mentioned, oh, there's Mark Avery popping up, and the BBC and the Telegraph. Um, It is quite telling that that we we can't get a single... On the top page. Yeah, none of our shooting organisations are there, none of our hunting organisations are there. And I think it quite simply is, honestly, that I don't think they want to tackle it. Because I think it's... Perhaps not. I think it's... Well, definitely definitely not, otherwise they'd have tackled it, wouldn't they? It's difficult. It's really difficult. You know, it is not an easy discussion to have. And I'm I'm somewhat um, of the opinion that they possibly don't want to draw the attention to the fact that... It's going on. That it's going on. I mean, just accepting if by the discussion that we've just had, and you've just defined it for us, in terms of the the principle, the overlying principle of what a trophy is, and if we're defining that as trophy hunting, whether we agree that we want to change that term so that it, it more correctly describes the management that goes around it, you know, that's a yeah. one discussion. Um, but that is the term that we are stuck with at the moment, whether we like it or not. We are doing it here. That might there there is uh, you know an underlying management principle that is not only looking after the good of those herds if it's red deer and the ecosystems that they live in or whether it's you know elephants and other types of antelope in Africa or pick any species in North America, um, but that doesn't change the fact that people are keeping body parts and display. it would be defined to display and it would be defined as a trophy. So to suggest that it doesn't go on in this country is absurd, and it has been suggested by the organisations and people who represent them, which I find either naive or ignorant. I don't know which. Yeah, and I think... Or they just... It's naive, ignorant, or they just blatantly don't want to be involved in that discussion at all. And I think there's also possibly a part of it that deer stalking is still, while it's... Is it the fastest growing British field sport? British I think sport? I've heard that somewhere. It, I, it certainly has been at some point because I've heard it before. Um, whether it still is or whether it isn't, it's still a pretty minority affair. Um, and I, I mean, we in Scotland, we must. I'm just trying to tot up, like from the bigger states that I know. I wonder how many trophies get exported. Well, I, I. Just and this is absolutely not scientific, but I've been on three different estates like in the last three four weeks. Uh, not particularly big estates in terms of the number of stags that they're shooting, but you know they do have a component that is that they take stags off. And all of them, it was more than fifty percent were shot by foreign guests. Uh, a lot from Europe, some from the states, and most of those heads were exported. You see, I would say where I was this year. Uh, we didn't shoot. We were trying to shoot sixty stags. We didn't. I think we shot forty-four stags in total. Yeah. Um, 
I would say probably probably if you said fifty percent of them were shot by by foreign guests, that would probably be correct. And if you said that uh, relatively relatively co- compared to other places that I've worked, relatively low amount of heads taken. But even so, at least fifty percent of those heads would have been will will be exported uh, at the end of the season. So that is that's at least ten off that one relatively small estate. Some of the bigger states that cater and market themselves directly, sort of like really focusing on foreign hunters. I mean, I know one estate that's exporting over 100 heads a year, every year, without fail. In fact, I know two estates that will do that at least. So so what is that if it's not if it doesn't come underneath the current definition which we have? And I think... The, of trophy well, it, well it, there's no... That's exactly what it is. I think what what is interesting sort of philosophically or, or away from the practical debate of what we should do about it. And the answer to what we should do about it, in my opinion, is you should go on to the DEFRA responses website, which is really simple to do. And respond to the consultation. And you should respond to the consultation and you should explain why this affects you and why you think it will affect um, conservation at large, both abroad and domestic, if you are qualified and feel qualified to do so. Um, but I, I, I think what's interesting is, let's say, let's say that 50% of our heads are exported and therefore you could say that the people coming to do the shooting are coming trophy hunting they're coming to shoot a stag to take the head away as part of the reason to do it i wonder what percent because i've got quite a lot of clients that take the head but would definitely still come if they couldn't take the head and i think that I think that would be an interesting, and the only way we'd ever know that, because otherwise it is just guesswork, is if people couldn't take the antlers, I mean, what they could do, so I know there's a an operation that does a lot of really good roebucks in Scotland, a friend of mine used to work for them, they shoot quite a lot of, of trophy roebucks, and they he's got casts made that were made by, uh, made, made by, I guess a taxidermist, but but a cast of the antlers and the head. Why? Because he, as a present to the guide, I think it's mainly Danish, Scandinavian. Okay. But basically, if you like, if if Byron the guest comes and shoots a gold medal roebuck, obviously he keeps the actual antlers. Yeah. But it's a nice memento for the guide uh, to have okay. a set. Yeah, because so, he was part of that. Yeah, exactly. So my my mate's got probably two or three of these cast heads in his living room, which you like, you could not see. This that's a really so interesting. You could thing. not say. Like, you know antlers, I know antlers, mm. and you go and look at them, and unless you were really looking, you would not tell the difference, categorically. So, so let, I, I think this is a, brings us to a fascinating point. So let's assume tomorrow, no export allowed. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to go and shoot exactly the same animal, get a cast made, and take it out? No, yeah. legally, and obviously. Throw, and throw the head away. Yeah, and throw the head. So legally, yeah, because it's not it's yeah, not it's a not body a, part. It's, yeah. a, it, you so know, it's, it's a mold. It's a, it's a, it's a mold. It's a, it's a piece of artwork. Yeah. People would be okay with that, would they? Like the public. Well, well, yeah, if we exactly. assume that this, so, this so is a public, morally, this is a public, public consultation. Yeah, I don't know. That's really interesting, isn't it? Do they object? So then you're like, would, would they object to... So when I get hind shooting guests and they come and shoot hinds, and they have a photograph taken with... You know, they get photographs taken through the week. Quite a lot of people will, will pose with the, the yeah. deer they've shot for whatever reason. It's up to them. Some people absolutely won't do it. Some people will do it with every animal. Some people take... Uh, like I've I've had guys before, uh, 
and not straight up, but there's one Scandinavian dude who's really, really nice, great fun, phenomenal shot, just sticks in my mind as like CSI like photographs. <laughs> there was no like there was no posing. This was like He wanted to look at bullet performance. If you'd if you'd said he was employed by Nart by Norma to do terminal <laughs> ballistics, I would totally believe you. Like he took CSI like photographs of, of Is like, it just because he was genuinely interested. Fascinated and very knowledgeable and a great researcher of of I appreciate that. Absolutely. He, he really cared about doing a good job and, you know, his shooting stood up to it and he, he was he was a pleasure to have on the hill. Um, but yeah, you'd look at his, like if you stop, if he got stopped at an airport with that camera and they went through the memory card, he, uh, and he couldn't explain himself, <laughs> he'd look pretty weird, I would suggest. So is that, so is the person that comes and they come and shoot Hind, which is, by and large, not trophy hunting, I would say, to most no. people because there's no antlers. There's no tangible, unless you took the skin, which nobody really no does. No one does. No. There's no, excuse me, um, that's the The, 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 the beer. It's <laughs> <laughs> the, the punishment of being an artiste such as we are. Um, yeah, you know, hind stalking, no, no, no antlers, nothing tangible to take away. Uh, very reasonably priced, very accessible to most people. Not, you don't have to be a Texan dentist worth a million pounds. <laughs> I you don't know, know what you're referring to. Anyone can do it. Uh, and But if they take that photograph, which a lot of people do, is that trophy hunting then? Because they take mm. the photograph. I mean, it's not, by, not by your definition. Not by the Oxford no. dictionary. Because it actually has to be a, a product. Yeah. Of that. But uh, then, like you say, is the mould. And and that and then this is weird because there's this whole thing. I was in IKEA recently for the first time ever, um, looking at, at beds. Am I not sitting in an IKEA exciting. chair right now? You are sitting in an IKEA chair, but that that isn't mine. Um, uh, so we were in IKEA and they had these like weird. I don't know if you've ever seen them, like a jigsaw puzzle, 3D plywood sculpture. I'm not selling this very well, uh, but like a plywood sculpture that looked like. A small red deer head. Made out of wood. Made out of wood. I've got one. Have you? Yeah, it's like those old dinosaur models that used to like pop the... Yeah, yeah that's yeah, exactly what it is. I have a... God, I don't sick. know what it is. It's not definitely not a red deer, but it's a deer with antlers. You're so trendy, Byron. My brother gave it to me for my Christmas like years ago. <laughs> well, there you go. But anyway, so then that... So so this is what kind of gets me, because that is... And it's on a... It was on a shield, because I noticed yeah, it, and I was like... Built into is, a shield, yeah. That is 100%. Like, that is your atypical wooden it's a trophy mount out of wood yeah yeah and that's being something you've had by, no connection i expect because ikea make it being bought by like millions of people yeah <laughs> and i can pretty much guarantee most of those people wouldn't be like oh, i like that because it's to do with hunting and deer no so, so i i think this is it's why it's such a strange thing to try and ban because you're not banning the action you're banning and this is the, something that i was I, I just it's just weird to me but then i, I was uh i explained this in a or it was a I think I mentioned it in the podcast two weeks ago, but I also wrote about God, it. Man, could die uh, first. Yeah, hey, <laughs> he, he, he is at the keg. Um, I, it was my kind of closing statement in an article I wrote for Sporting Rifle um, last month. I think was that just to make it clear whether this goes through or not, they are not suggesting the banning of hunting in those countries that those animals are in. And they are not suggesting if it was to be to the like the full extent of the consultation, which, as I've already said, seems unlikely. They're not saying that, no, it's okay, my beer is good for now. Uh, they're not saying that no one will be able to hunt red deer here. It is just yeah. that you won't be able to export all those products. in South Africa. Yeah, it's just, yeah, exactly. It's just that you won't be able to import or export those products. 
So this goes back to your point: is would people still go and hunt? And my my um, challenge in the final paragraph of that article was that if we really believe what we uh, talk about frequently, you know, within the hunting community about hunting being a massive part of uh, conservation, is that we should still go and do it. If the I ban gets I, implemented I, I, tomorrow, I we still need to go and do it. I, I don't think people won't come and shoot stags. I'm just I trying think, to think. No, like, I, I agree with that. But I think that I mean, they might not on a spectrum lines. of, exactly, on a spectrum of how much it costs, I think there are quite a number of people who wouldn't do it if they couldn't bring something back. I tell you what, I bet there's a lot of people that would suddenly not care how big whatever they shoot is. Yeah, you could be right, yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of people that, like, and not that there's a lot of people, that's not fair, out of, like I said, what, 45 stags that were shot this year where I was, there was maybe two instances of people asking to shoot decent, you know, bit decent animals, as I would say, as in not potentially the ideal cull animal, but an, an animal that is a better trophy. Uh, which is not the way we do things in Scotland, and it's an awkward conversation to have because international hunters have international ideas, and and in Scotland we're funny buggers. That I, I think it's a it's something we don't talk about enough in Scotland. Actually, is yeah. how amazing uh, that culture is. You know, especially within traditional I mean, people, estates. Yeah, absolutely. And people talk about. I mean, uh, and we both listen and speak to and deal with a lot of the American media around hunting. Uh, and a lot of it is excellent, and they are rightly proud of the American model of conservation, which is a uh, works very well for them and everything else. But I, I do think there is a funny, and I've got a very funny story actually, which is too long, and I won't tell it properly to recall here. But uh, of a friend of mine's father going uh, white-tailed deer hunting, and sitting in a in a lodge in America somewhere, explaining to people how it works in Scotland. And, yeah. and these guys just, you know, and these guys who, who are knowledgeable hunters and have done a lot of it just couldn't get their head around the fact that um, it is better to shoot worse animals. <laughs> uh, and it's it's a sort of very British thing in that we have this, there is the most pride in in taking the worst thing. There are the, the sort of the greater good of it is, is the basis of our system. And it's, I think it's fascinating how that's evolved. And I do think it works well. And I think that the proof of the pudding is in the, you know, the number of fantastic stags you see wandering around. Um, and that's, that's a, a, that's a big old conversation for another day, I suppose. But um, I, th I think in the most part, certainly the majority of British guests that I get and the majority of um, the majority of international guests uh, especially who are there, either the guys we you, I, I put international guests down into two categories. There's either people that come every year because they absolutely adore it. A lot of them weirdly don't really do any deer hunting where they're from. I often find that like the guys that come back to Scotland every year, they they go stalking in Scotland because it is unique and special because they love the tradition, everything absolutely. that's involved in it, from yeah, the tweeds they, to the ponies they, they, to the mountains. They don't they don't want to go and shoot deer. They want to go stalking in Scotland, and that they're very different things. As you yourself know, you know, th there's plenty of places in the world where you can batter a road deer. You know, in the south of England, there's plenty of places you can batter a road deer out of a car window, as there is in Scotland. Um, but those people who could go and do that once a day, every day for an entire year come to Scotland to do it our funny way with silly trousers and <laughs> lots of rain. Um, there so is I, something uniquely special about that. Yeah, I think there is. Uh, well, I hope there is because otherwise I've been telling people lies for years <laughs> to get them here. Um, but the other category of international guests is the category, uh, uh, sorry, it's not the category, the people that come here 
maybe not as a once in a lifetime experience, but as a unique experience, uh, uh, as a hunting tourist who quite often has been and hunted all over the world in in lots of different places for lots of different animals. And I find those people often fascinating to speak to, and they they've often got some great stories and great insight into how things work. But very rarely on proper explanation of how we do what we do and why we do it. I would say very rarely do people argue the toss and want to shoot the big royal or the big monarch that's wandering about in front of them. I think people are quite nice like that. When you've got a pride in what, in the, in, you know, as, as a stalker, when you've got a pride in the deer that are on your hill and, and the deer that you produce in adverted commas, I think, I think most people respect that rather than want to try to overrule it which is quite a long I've just I'd forgotten we were doing a question and answer thing <laughs> I, I want, we need to go back to the questions two. I'm not sure whether we've really answered it or not probably not but that would just be the way we do things isn't it really uh, so how do we as a community best coordinate our response to death for consultation on trophies right okay. so so I think we did uh, better in terms of uh, I mean everybody respond Yes, uh, don't 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 as rely the, don't rely the on the organisations to do this for you, but yourself. Because even even if they were, and I have no doubt they are doing stuff behind the scenes. My my issue with what's happened recently is that there's been a lot of damage done to hunting globally, as in the the global perception of hunting within the UK in the last two months because we haven't been proactive in countering what has been out there. That's my main issue. Not suggesting there hasn't been stuff going on behind the scenes because I know there has, but the problem is that nobody knows about it and that there's been no real public statements from any organizations, which really pisses me off. Um, But in terms of answering that question, go and respond to the consultation, every single one of you, because even if the organizations are doing it, it's still one voice. Yeah, okay, it's one voice representing however many people, but it's still only one response on behalf of everybody. That is nowhere near as effective as, as 200 or 300,000 yeah. people writing in, giving, and it doesn't even have to be that in depth. You know, if you don't feel like you've got the, the full knowledge, at least just put a paragraph t- together as best as you can. And to be fair, and I probably shouldn't say this, but when I, I have responded to it, and I arguably should have written the lengthiest of rebuttals and everything else, but actually, I'm relatively busy, and I, I didn't write that much. I probably put down three paragraphs, one explaining my situation, one explaining how I thought it affected Britain, and one explaining my opinion on the rest of the world, which was essentially that if they want to export trophies, it's on a per-country basis, which is what I feel. I don't think that Britain should be playing empires and trying to tell everybody else how to do what their they own can stuff. Because, f- frankly, we we know very little about elephants in Britain because we haven't got any. So we should probably leave elephant management to people that have elephants and know a lot about them. Yeah. Uh, and if they opinion. think it's okay to export them, yeah, then we should probably, happily... Probably, because they know what they're talking about. Um, and I... Yeah, so I, that... I, I completely concur. Then respond. Try and... If you're in a shooting syndicate, try and, like, send an email to everybody. Get everybody to respond. On we don't have WhatsApp. that long, I should say. It's 25th of January, I think, yeah, I is, think the, is the yeah. final date. Which is long enough. I it's mean, it's long, write three it's... paragraphs. You could write a paragraph a month and you'd get it in on time. Um, <laughs> I remember Christmas, New Year, yeah, it's time slips it, away. Get it, get it sent around your WhatsApp group of keeper mates or your your email syndicate or even just you know your gun club or whatever whatever organization you're in on a small level where people will listen to you because you're their mate and they know you and you don't spam them with stuff all the time try and you know try and if it's something you are passionate about and by the fact you're listening to this one would expect you might be 
then, then respond. And probably international people should as well. If you are one of point. Byron and Daryl's many... Oh, Daryl's not here today, which is quite sad. This is yeah. the first podcast I've done without Daryl. Yeah. Um, but if you're one of, one of the many international listeners to this podcast and you at some point would like to come and spend some time getting wet on a mountain with someone like me in a in the truest sporting sense of that term... <laughs> then, uh, then, then, then respond to to our silly little government, um, and try and get them to to make sure that you can take your antlers home with you. Um, Byron, you haven't had any beer for a while. I think. Oh no, I just I just supped. Did you? I just supped. I think very meek supping from Byron. I, I think we've. I, I think that's a fair response to that. Uh, so we'll yeah, go it, to. Oh, should we go to the next one? Yeah, let's go for it. So now to a, a lighter question again. Okay. I don't know if we'll do all six. I might get a bit bored. Nah, that's okay. We might get I think, I think this is, it's, give, it's given us some it's direction. Fresh, Otherwise, yeah, we were it. just going to sit here and drink eat, beer and eat, eat chocolate. chocolate and drink beer. Uh, if you are stalking and shooting professionally, which I am as much as I do anything professionally, a Byron is often, do you still hunt as a hobby? Oh, great question. Do you do a different type of field sport in your spare time to what you do for a living? And I'm very sorry because I forgot to write down who asked me that. Oh dear. So, so that is a genuinely great question. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. Sh- shall I go first? Because you've gone first. Yeah, you go. F- that go gives for you a little yeah. minute. And I read this earlier. I'm going to drink a bit of beer. Um, <sighs> do I still do it as a hobby? I think the answer is probably no, because I don't think I'm self-employed and I actually don't have any hobbies. Is I think is the honest answer. I genuinely. Um, you read. I read books about work. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got a library of books about work. Um, I okay, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I read the National Geographic every now and then, but that's even then still like furry stuff in rainy places. Um, so I, I don't know if I do do it as a hobby. I think, I think there's like certain parts of work that I really enjoy, and I still go stalking. I will still go. It, I'll still go and stalk deer without being paid for it. I'll quite happily, t- you know, if if I've got mates to take out stalking, I'll I'll do that and not be worried about charging people and things. Um, and I always, even on shitty wet days, um, as a, just as an example, the first time I went after Heinz myself this year after a season doing stags with guests, um, that first day that I went out and it was like just me, that was like a little holiday. I really love doing that and I've done a fair bit of it now and I still, there's no, it's it doesn't get to a stage. And I remember having a conversation with someone when I was quite young and I wanted to do this for a living and people, there was this thing about not making a hobby into a job. Mm. That's a load of a shit. A lot of people have said that. Oh, what a load of nonsense. That's a load of people that haven't made their hobby into the job and are miserable <laughs> yeah. about it. Definitely make your hobby into a job. Be passionate about it and, and dedicate yourself to it and become good enough at it that someone might occasionally pay you as they do me. Um, but what I would say is there's certain parts of it that I, so like I... I love hound work for foxes and I will drive a long way with no money changing hands even though it's kind of part of my job and I'm doing it with other keepers and stalkers and it is definitely a job it's a it's a task that needs to be done we're not doing it for fun but that is something that I enjoy immensely and I think that's probably the closest thing I've got to a hobby. And I want to do more wildfowling. Wildfowling's awesome. I, wildfowling is awesome. And I'd like to I'd like to get good at shooting geese and I'm not good at shooting geese. I'd like I don't to know. Do I'm no I don't think I'm any good at it, but I really enjoy being on yeah. the foreshore. 
Yeah, I think I, I think it, with a bit more time, then I would do more wildfowling because I love flying ducks. I love I love I love eating ducks. I love flighting ducks. I like foreshore because it's actually properly wild. Yeah, Foreshore's it's like proper like, hunting. Yeah, and it's 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 there's no like it's not that it's it's not dangerous like getting charged by an elephant or getting eaten by a bear dangerous but you've got to be a bit clever and you've got to learn yeah. stuff you've got to know there's a bit of craft it's, there it's that not, i just don't have it's not I, standing at a peg exactly <laughs> not to knock that it's not my thing but it no is but i have to say people. it's very different <laughs> yeah like you although don't, I, you, although you, don't ironically, need, you don't that need, is kind of what i do on a hound day <laughs> you don't you don't need any field craft no Really, no, quite. to stand to step out of a Range Rover and no, stand but you a need bit. a lot of field craft to be successful in the foreshore. Absolutely, yeah, uh, and like a good, yeah. So I, I would like, I, I like to think, like if I, if I retire at some point, then I, I think I will. Oh, I you think, think you're going to retire? Well, I do. Well, no, I don't know. <laughs> Might win the lottery. I've, I'm, 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 I'm angling to be a trophy husband. That's my plan. <laughs> My girlfriend's in the other room, so I need to be quiet about that. She'll be miserable. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I would, I would definitely do more wildfowling because I just think it's really cool, and I don't know a lot about it, and it's, I've enjoyed the stuff I've done. So that would be my, my prospective hobby if I wasn't self-employed and I had a bit more time. Uh, then I would do that, and I, yeah, I think the answer is that there's parts of the job, and most of the job is quite enjoyable, but there's like certain things that I just get so excited and giddy about. Like I, re- yeah, the, yeah. And most of it's fox centric, actually. Yeah, I love hunting foxes. Any way you can, any way you can try and snare, yeah, any uh, hounds, anything. I lamping less so, but even so, I get pretty excited. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, foxes. Yeah, I it's um, I, you know, I get to hunt, I get to hunt a lot in the year, but I normally have a camera in my hand, not a rifle. Yeah, so I'm not pulling the trigger. And so I get a lot of the experiences of uh, hunting in amazing places, in incredible environments for staggeringly interesting, intriguing, and beautiful animals. But I'm not the one hunting. Yeah. Does it bother you? No, it it really doesn't at all. And I don't even do as much stalking as I used to. Uh, Some of that's time because I'm away a lot with work. Uh, And some of that is because I've done a lot of it. And so I feel... You know, there was a period of time where if I got home and there was enough light in the sky, you you guarantee that I would take my gun out of the cupboard and I would be out road stalking. Even if I didn't really have any intention of shooting anything that night, I just wanted to be out. I wanted to see them because later in the week I might want to shoot them. Yeah. You know, I might might find the one, okay, I'm going to come back here. Uh, And I'm going to go and shoot that doe with two kids or or whatever it might be. I just wanted to be out. And I, I have less of that thirst now because I think probably I've done a lot of it. But what it does mean and is the that... bloodlust goes away. A That's little bit. That's a definite thing. But when I do have the opportunity to do it, I think it means a lot more to me now. Well, and if there is a time, if there is something that I do which has become almost purely hobby and not work-related, because I, I do a lot of stalking where yeah, there's work yeah. related to it, is uh, perfectly linked to what you were saying. It's actually wildfowling, which yeah, I took up for the first time ago, last, only last year. Last year. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember having a chat with you and you're And it's, about it just it. blew me away. It's like, this has been on my doorstep. Why the hell have I not been doing this since I was a kid? And it was quite simply, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Like there was no one in my, my circle who was doing it, a circle of friends. Uh, my dad didn't do it. He didn't know anything about it. And so I didn't have anyone to show me. And, and it's a definitely, it's a show me thing, isn't it? You, uh, I mean, when... 
when I started going to the Fortra, I was going with my my friend Eden, and no one showed us. But I was there with my buddy. So, yeah, and we were all older, and, that's an older, and you can, yeah. you, we could work it yeah, out. You didn't have to tell I you wouldn't about. have wanted to rock up there by myself at seventeen. No, you know, for a start, you've got this burden of there's a lot of things happening quickly, and you know, a lot of birds and silhouettes and calls and stuff that you've got to ID. You're like, I don't want to make a mistake because there are rules and regulations for these that you don't want to shoot something that you can't shoot. The first time I went wild hunting, actually, it was I'm just remembering this was a long time ago. And it was with a mate of mine called Will Deniff, who's a who's a good bloke. He's a he's a fencing contractor now in Yorkshire, and he keeps sheep. Um, and we went wildfowling together on Munlochy Basin through the wildfowler scheme they had then, and we got it completely wrong. Uh, <laughs> and I had we we I remember, I remember my dad like dropped us off, and was there to pick us up. And I remember him getting out of the car because we were walking back along like a towpath or something. Yeah. And you could see the road. And neither of us had put our guns in our slips because our guns were so covered in shit. And the barrels were full because I, I remember using, I had a semi-auto then. And I remember having to use it as like a walking stick to get myself out of this mud that we got in because we were on the wrong side of the time. It was like literally, it was the, it was the like, it, it, if Basque ever made a film of how not to wildfowl, <laughs> that would be the script. It went really, it didn't go really badly. Nobody died. We didn't shoot anything. We saw some geese, but they were a really long way away. Some other people that knew what they were doing shot them. Uh, and then the tide came in and we had to get out of the way and we, it was all a bit hairy. But And I just remember um, that was the first time I ever pressure washed a gun. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't was, think that's recommended. It was really so. bad. No, but I've got a Benelli that loves a pressure washing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was the first time. I, and and that was that was cool. But I remember I didn't. I, I wore a swan dry to do that. Oh, old school, I've still got one. I love my swan dries, but I wouldn't recommend them for very muddy pursuits. No, because you'll never get it out. No. Because <laughs> uh, all that, like, it's, it's made it's, of wool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like it's, like, it's like a, it's, is it shrunk or something? It's like, it's like the old boiled wool that yeah. mountaineer, you know, boiled wool mittens mm. that mountaineers wear. It's almost like that, isn't it? I so had it's mine, like a slightly uh, fur, furry texture. I had a draw cord put in mine Ooh. because I found that they were, they like hung off you a little bit. and Not it a was, problem for was, me, mate. <laughs> I found it a bit drafty, uh, even though it came down to your knees. So I had a draw cord put in. I've got a few of them. So I've got I've got a really old one, uh, which is a, it's got a full it's a, it's a long heavy one with a full zip down the front and a detachable hood. And the advantage to that is that it's got hand warmer pockets. Yeah, of course. But mine my, doesn't. It's my just preferred one is the 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 old school smock, the lace up smock, which I've got one of yeah. uh, as well, which is great. And it makes you look probably, like Robin Hood. What well, makes me look like yeah, Robin Hood? Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> or Friar Tuck in my case. Friar <laughs> 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 yeah, Tuck did wear one just like that. <laughs> yeah, um, but then like I would, I would just talking of gear, gear and recommending stuff to people. If you stalk in woodlands, they're probably like they're about one hundred and twenty quid, isn't and they're so quiet. They're so good. They're really quiet. They're relatively waterproof. They're really cozy, warm. They're not very sweaty. You blend in in dark woods quite well. They last literally. I've got a, I've got like a light one. You know they do like a shirt. I've got one of those that's in the, the Land Rover at the moment, and that is actually ten years old now. They will last and literally a lifetime. Yeah, it's got tweed patches on the elbows because I wore through the elbows, and my mum had so patches on them. Um, but yeah, swan, swan dry is something that I just yeah I, the, kiwi, they are they? yeah they're kiwi. They're like that's where Swazi and everybody got the idea. That's the original smock. I think yeah yeah. Um, and they are really cool. But I think they're made in China now, which is a bit sad. No, I think it's still a Kiwi company, but I think the new ones are made in China. I'm not really sure. But they do last a long time. I would recommend those. Going back to our earlier question. Buy a Swan Dry. They come up big, though. The sizes are quite large, which is good for layering and things. Um, 
Right. Did okay. we fully answer that? I think so. I think we did, didn't we? Yeah. Basically, go wildfowling. That's our advice. <laughs> Learn wildfowling. I don't want be a, to. Don't be afraid to do what you and do what you enjoy as a job. I would say because yeah. apart from when I'm doing things like I was doing yesterday, which was the books for my accountant, which is nobody enjoys. Um, you know, most of the time I'm working a lot, but I enjoy it. Yeah. I Almost all, all the time. I, I don't. Time. I don't have to work to do the things I enjoy because I yeah. work doing the things I enjoy. Yeah, I think if I if I had like a proper job, like I a grown up job, job, then I well, you did try. I've oh never no, you yeah, know, I did it. I couldn't now. <laughs> I, I've never even attempted to have a proper job. Um, but I think I would have to earn. Like I would spend all my time at the job wishing I was doing this, trying to earn money to do this anyway. Exactly. And then I'd have no money because I'd spend it all doing what I want to do. So, so you just better, be miserable most of the time. It's better to just not have the money in the first place and do the thing you love doing. Um, but I did this year, uh, like not that long ago, in November, I went on my first holiday as an adult. Wow. You I go? had a week in Northumberland because like a proper <laughs> you No, bugger off. Because this <laughs> I you were gonna say this. No, you love this. Um the reason that we went to Northumberland, much to my and it was my my wonderful girlfriend who puts up with so much shit and is, is a bit of a I'm saint, amazed really. you found the girlfriend. Yeah, I know. I'm amazed she's still here. <laughs> um uh who puts up with so much stuff and she wanted to go on holiday, so I said we go on holiday. Um and she is quite the traveller. She's been all over the spot, as the Germans say, Alice la Uberleplatz. Um, now you're just showing and, off and yeah so she's travelled over she goes she likes going abroad and things um, I don't have a passport <laughs> hold the phone yeah You have you never had a passport I have had a passport and I've previously been abroad to the foreign lands um, but I, I it ran I don't out, just I have a passport have you got it with you ever ever ready let's see Ever ready. I've just leaned over to my laptop bag. Right. There is my passport, just in case I need to jump on and a plane. The, and just to, just to inform you, listeners, because this is a audio <laughs> program, the, the front cover of Byron's <laughs> no, passport is even completely, like, where it has the coat of arms, there's nothing there. It's worn off. Can you it's even see it? Barely. Passed, it's yeah, like you can Braille sort of see just. the outline. It's like bad Braille. It's been passed through the hands of so many dodgy border <laughs> guards. Um, oh, yeah. And there's, there's sort of chubby Byron. A little bit of chubby Byron there. That that pick. When is the oh, when Byron this, Byron two, James? Two thousand and fourteen. So I yeah. was in oil at that time. Yeah. I think and pie shops. Well, the problem is when you work offshore is you're bored and depressed most of the time because all you want to do is be home. And so to get through that, you eat at the all-you-can-eat canteen as much as you can. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so anyway, so so I didn't have a passport. So we went to Northumberland for a week. And for a week, I didn't really think about work. uh, And I actually had a holiday. Uh, This is kind of a lie because... As our mutual friends, the Peaks, will tell you, I sort of went on holiday with them a few years ago, but we went to the Hebrides and we made a fishing film. And if you've oh, were you been... with them for that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, you didn't feature in it. No, I did. Like, I did some film. It was hilarious. You, you I, I tried record. To, I tried to be you, and it didn't work. <laughs> um, which is why they're still making films, and, and I'm you're not. not. Um, but yeah, we went. We went to the Hebrides on holiday, but fishing with the Peak Twins, uh, which I will plug here because they're wonderful yeah twin peaks fly fishing is their company before. they've been on the podcast before oh one they of them are, has yeah but they're the same person so it doesn't really matter <laughs> <That's> so mean <laughs> they're two identical twins that will um that 
live and breathe fishing in a way that few other people do. Yeah, it's um, impressive. But going, going on a holiday to go fishing with them is not going on a holiday. It is like being at a fishing concentration camp <laughs> where you get up. We were fishing like 14 hours a day that yeah. holiday for Well, they needed to catch for fish for the film. Days. Yeah, we and caught, they did catch the fish. The only person that caught fish was Will's girlfriend at the time who, and it was like her second salmon. Huh. And we, no, I think Al caught fish as well. Anyway, it was a hoot. But that was supposedly a holiday. But, um, but you came back needing slept, a holiday. I slept in a Hilux for 10 days because I forgot a tent and a sleeping bag. I'm not a very prepared man. When you <laughs> say you forgot a tent and a sleeping bag, you mean you didn't listen to them when they said bring a tent and a sleeping bag? Yeah, I think that was probably about right. Yeah. Uh, so I slept in a Hilux for 10 days. They slept in tents. We didn't share and we went fishing a lot when it was really bad conditions those two weeks in the Hebrides, which was a bit rubbish. We fished some amazing, like I had a great time. We went fishing in some phenomenal places. Um, but I wouldn't really put it in like the relaxing holiday, whereas this was like a relaxing holiday uh, and was really nice. So I had a week's holiday, which is a first. And I didn't really think about work and I didn't really talk to anybody. And I managed to avoid like visiting what I normally do when I like go to England or go anywhere is I use it as an excuse to visit other people. Like I'll go and visit stalkers or other keepers, yeah, yeah. like go and look at grouse and stuff. And I wasn't allowed to do that this holiday. So that was quite <laughs> nice too. I like literally, I didn't take a set of, like, didn't take a knife with me, didn't take a leatherman with me, didn't take a set of binoculars, didn't take a gun, nothing. I went, I went as a tourist and we touristed about and Northumberland was closed. <laughs> All, everything was shut. So it was great. So we just like chilled out. Anyway, it was really nice. That was a big sidetrack. Um, should we do another question? Yes. Do you want a serious question? Well, whatever's next on your list. Uh, I'm just also pouring a pint. Sorry, this is a... Uh, Byron's yet... The, the podcast is yet... What are they called? Legions? What are your people called that donate money? <laughs> Patreons. Patreons, not legions. Wrong Romans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the, uh, the, the pint number four is, um, is getting to me. Um, if Byron gets enough patrons, he's going to um, employ a little man to bring him biz. <laughs> what, while I podcast? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We made our 20th patron. Thank you very much to all of you who are listening. Because I, I imagine if you're a Patreon listener, you probably listen to every podcast. That would make sense. You'd think so, so thank you very much to all 20 of you. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm not one of them. Well, we have to correct. I mean, you, you contribute some of your time I once do a year. I contribute my time. That's your, that's your contribution. Which to is terribly expensive. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. shall we do, we'll do our final question. We were going to do more questions, but I think that we've, well, like, we've rambled already been, over the answers I mean, we've been a little podcasting bit, for over an hour now have to we? answer three questions. So if we do another three, that'll be a two-hour podcast. Yeah, we like a two-hour podcast, though. That's right. Do you know that you did a three-hour podcast once? Yeah, I think, we should, I think that's a good amount of time, mate. It's impressive. We had complaints. <laughs> right okay last question what do you find most annoying about the shooting world at the moment which is from chris i can't remember what his instagram name was but it only said chris so thank you chris most annoying question yeah what what uh what grinds your gears byron pace i was hoping to throw this question to you first sam i thought you could answer the question (sighs) that you just read I will answer the question. So, like, I figured uh, well, you, you, you read these questions before I have, so you must have given us some I did. That is very true. Already. I should have shown them to you before. Uh, so I think so. I've got like two annoying things. I think the first one is the way that we, as providers of stalking, which definitely includes myself in the past, but I'm trying to remedy this at the moment, uh, offer the carcasses and the venison for sale to our clients that have shot them. Obviously, the majority of, um, just to fill people in that maybe aren't aware, um, so if you come hunting in Scotland, uh, generally the estate will 
sell the venison to a game dealer who then sells it to butchers. It's a big commercial part of paying for the the management of that estate. Uh, and it's unusual to have the meat included in the price of your hunt here. I, I, don't, I don't know how it works elsewhere, but, but certainly here that is unusual. Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty much across the board. Okay, well, that's yeah, good. I'd say that's um, so anyway, so so normally... Apart from and, like on public land hunting, it's a yeah, very different thing. But, different bag. But yeah, um, yeah so, so traditionally and generally still, um, if you come and shoot... Say you come and shoot a, you come and shoot a, a hind tomorrow, um, you can buy that animal from the estate... Um, in the skin, unbutchered, and they will generally charge you whatever they would get from the game dealer, which is fair. The problem that I have with it is that a lot of clients fly up here from down south, or they fly in from abroad. And something that I'm really keen to to do more of, and to try and help and promote a bit more of, is is the idea of getting it butchered by a butcher and getting it vacuum packed and sealed and shipped to the client's flat in London or house in the Cotswolds or house in Paris. So that actually people, because there's a lot of people that come stalking that want to take home what they shoot, in my experience, and they and they can't because we've got, the way our game laws work and stuff makes it a bit more complicated. But that is definitely possible. And it annoys me that that, that doesn't happen because I think you, get, you see a lot of people it's going It's something home. that hasn't really evolved, has it? No, exactly. And it... With, we, with modern we just, living, you know, yeah, absolutely, and we need to, we need to sort of, I think we need to bring that into this century, which I know other estates are doing. I'm certainly trying to do, uh, and and that's just a good thing that to I be think fair, we I mean, doing. some estates do this now with um, birds. Yeah, absolutely. Pheasant oven partridge, ready. particularly, and very even popular. Yeah, very popular. Very popular is oven ready. That has, I have to there. say that is one. I mean, that's quite a recent thing that I'd say a lot of us. Uh, Five years, maybe. Yeah, a bit. It, I mean, I think I remember a place doing it when board, I was. Yeah, maybe increasing, ten years ago. Increasing yeah, numbers of states doing it. In the past Before decade, it was yeah. like very few. Mm. They were doing it, but that's something that has happened in the bird world, the bird yeah, shooting world. Absolutely. That hasn't really carried through to the deer world. No, and it's obviously because deer are much bigger. And and, it, and because there's a much more a massive regular market for it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, big, there's a big market in it, and it is a big income stream for the estate. But I think people are willing to... People, people are willing it. to pay for that venison, and people are keen to have the animal that they've, they've shot yeah. on their plate. And the second thing that annoys me... Oh, oh now we get on to them. Are you it thinking that maybe here. there could be three? We could be here for hours, man. Okay, that's fine. And another thing. Um, no, I, th- I, I think something that really does annoy me a little bit is there's like a real folk. There seems to be... A, and I... So I use, I use Facebook to talk to my friends generally and a few clients and stuff, but I... So I'm really, I don't use it to engage particularly in the yeah, wider community of, of, of hunting. But Instagram, I do, and I think something that just seems to knock me a, a little bit with it is that there is a like there's seems to be a definite focus on people doing things for. It's not the wrong reasons. That's really like that's not my place to say. It doesn't really matter what I think. But I think people doing things to look the part. I think just really annoys me. I think there's a lot. I think there's more of it than we would like to think there is probably and i think there's a bit of a like a little like just a, a little sorry a little a, a little example um somebody shoots a deer really badly three bullets to kill it four bullets to kill it and they post something on social media saying that it was wonderful and they killed it perfectly and everything was fine that's that's one example of just being like well actually is that the story that you should tell is that how you want to tell that story you know you understand why, but is that the right way of doing it? And then 
also I think I think there's a lot of people that are just that just see the shooting countryside world as a way to have lots of followers and get lots of people to like what you say. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, it's a hard I, one. That, that, it's, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me nearly as much as the medicine, the venison thing does actually. Um, I just think that I, I, I don't know. I just, there's quite a lot of. You're days. talking about like dis- disingenuous portrayal. I thought, th- absolutely. Yeah. You can tell Byron's a pint behind me, can't you? <laughs> um, yeah, no. I think I think it's that thing that just quite often I will I will look at the Instagram and I just think, oh God, I can't be bothered with this. And that actually is a bit sad because you should look at Instagram and be like. God, this is amazing. Look at all this cool stuff that's going on. But actually, you read what people say sometimes, and it's just like, oh, I just can't be bothered. But that's probably my... I'm probably just miserable. Maybe you... Yeah, maybe you're just, uh, just a, a miserable, miserable old person. man before your time. That so. is probably true, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think there is something in that. I think there is something <sighs> about... Uh, this just this goes beyond hunting, though. It, it's like that, that social media presence, which mm. is only showing the best, shiniest the parts of, of life, your life. I suppose so. Yeah, it's like the highlight reel. And of Maybe course, I... everybody wants to look awesome and you know, showcase you know, the best of what they're doing. Uh, and I think that rolls over into the hunting world. And it, it gives a... I, I think the greatest danger is that for people new into it, either young people or coming new into it later in life, is it maybe gives a... Um, it I gives a it, false portrayal of what it's maybe about on a regular basis because most of the time yeah. you're not doing all the cool things. You're just there existing in an environment. And I think it drives people to... To seek out those the end, highlights like the, at the end result. What you do after, not as the culmination of your career or anything like that, but the bits, I think that it, it maybe people rush past really awesome bits that I look back on from my oh god I was going to say journey then and that's just painful, I thought you were going to say childhood but you no, basically like, are a big child yeah so. I think I'm a massive child <laughs> um, but you know things I look back on from when I was getting into you know I just remember the, the joy of, of of hunting rabbits as like a relatively young kid stuff like that which if I came to it at, at the age I am now you probably that skip joy over that. would still be there. Yeah, you think it would be? Yeah, I think it would be. I, I, I see. My perception is that quite often those very informative early experiences, which seem quite trivial in a way to some extent, compared to the majesty of taking a red stag on a pony off the hill, yeah. get skipped over quite easily. But they really are. If I was to think about what has shaped me as to the the person and the hunter I am today, it's Probably more those on early journey on my journey. Um, it's probably yeah, more those early experiences than anything else. It's I can, scoping myself with an air rifle at uh, three or four years old, you know, under the custodianship of my dad, yeah. and crawling along the in long grass, chasing rabbits yeah. with him and shooting and I, crows at trees. And I, I've got some phenomenal memories of that. And I think I think part of that problem actually is is people that people that come to the sport late. Often it's not sexy skip that. those things, right? No, they're not. Are they? Nobody likes. Yeah, cutting about with the tutu biffing rabbits is not, yeah, it's it's not, not sexy. It's not sexy. You don't get cool Instagram pictures from it necessarily. No. And I think that's a shame. And I think therefore people, I think my gripe with it maybe, I don't know if this is what we've talked about before or not, but I think it's easy for people to come to it later in life especially. Or maybe even just people that come to it young in life but come to it now through social media. Okay. or Because I think, I'm just trying to think, if I started, uh, let's say I started playing golf now 
as an adult. I've never ever played golf. I don't know anything about golf. You I've probably, never played golf either. I don't think there's any reason to. No, but let's say let's say hypothetically, <laughs> that's just lost let's, about twenty percent of our listenership. <laughs> let's say let's say hypothetically, you and I start playing golf. We would probably follow some golf people on Instagram. Yeah, we would probably read some golf magazines, and actually, if if all that you saw on Instagram was people playing. I don't, the problem is I don't know enough. About is your golf. analogy completely I, breaking down? Yeah, because I don't know anything about. I golf. think I, I so see like, what you're trying to say. You know what I mean? It's like if that's if you, how you've come yeah, to this if you, world. If you just turned up and you looked at, and to be fair, maybe I'm guilty of this as well. Because if you, well, no, because that's all I really do. I don't. Shoot, I've not shot rabbit in bloody years. Uh, but if you if you turned up and you looked at the average like high following, if that's the term, is that the term? Like Instagram page. You would see like all the cool sexy stuff, like you say, like stags on horses and um, shooting pheasants or shooting grouse or, um, you know, salmon fishing wherever. They're the things that make the highlights real in inverted commas. And people, I think, just dismiss the idea of shooting rabbits. I think if you come to, if you start, if you start shooting rifles in your 30s because you're, you want to get into deer stalking. I don't think, I think it would be easy to miss the genuine joy and excitement and love of squeaking ra- uh, foxes into a lamp. Because we did that because we didn't have any money. Like, we'd have gone red deer stalking every every day as kids if we could. Yeah, done, damn right. It wasn't there. It wasn't and, accessible. Yeah, it, it just wasn't in the back garden. What was in the back garden was foxes to shoot on lamps for farmers locally. Yeah. And so and we went lamping and we loved, lamp- and I still do kind of love lamping in a way. I love lamping when there's the problem up here is there's not enough foxes to make lamping fun. In Cumbria, there's quite a lot of foxes, so it can be quite a good crack. But, um, you know, that, that like shooting shooting foxes in the lamp and shooting rabbits with a tutu. I mean, to be fair, I still, I'll, I don't, when was the last time I did shoot a rabbit? Probably quite a, Oh, I shot, I shot rabbits at Ochnan for the GWCT. Okay. But that was mainly at the their model farm. Yeah, because they had a really big rabbit problem and I went and gave them a hammer that. So we shot some rabbits there a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but I, uh, and I did Instagram some of that actually. But yeah, maybe that that annoys me that that's not the really sort of grassroots portrayed. things very often. Yeah, maybe that would be a cool, over. maybe that's something that Bass could do that would be really good would be like have a really grassrootsy, like, this is how you shoot rabbits. Well, that would be a good. Or maybe that would throwing be throwing an thing. idea out there. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, I, yeah. That was sorry. That's a very long, rambling, non-answer to what annoys. Well, me. you've been talking. What I mean, you, I mean trying Byron? to think what annoys me. I, you know, I think if I was to just pick one thing, is it people not paying their invoices? <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually, that annoys me most. <laughs> of the people shit people not paying their invoices. People not paying their fucking invoices. That's really hard. Um, I, I have increasingly <laughs> less clients that do that. But I, I worked out the other day. There's a complete side point to this. I think we've had something like close. Eighty odd client, diff- like different clients, since we started our that business. Seems like a lot, and you know, some of them might just be one job, some of them are repeat clients or whatever. And something like seven out of ten clients, I probably have to chase for an invoice. People that pay on the time ones that are ones like... are freaking awesome. You know, yeah. the small number that I have, yeah, you know, massively but appreciate, people... and I will go beyond, you know, what I've been paid for because I know yeah. that they'll pay. But the idea, like I have invoicing software to f- track all of mine. Yeah, it's really good. Well, I'm I, have, really, I have a whiteboard. I'm really forgetful. <laughs> I have um, a whiteboard, and that's how. And I, I look at my invoicing app, and I bet if we looked at it now, there would maybe be one invoice with black writing, and then there'd be 
With more red. invoices with red writing saying how many days are overdue. Very, very few people pay me on time. This is a massive sidetrack. It is. Sorry. It is one thing that pisses me off, yeah. I don't know how... That I mean, true. I don't know what... Prom- we must have had a discussion about that recently. Probably. <laughs> no, anyway, say, carry on. If, there's one th- if I was to pick one thing within the sort of global hunting community, it would be that we are very stubborn and resistant to any kind of change, which we feel like negatively impacts what we've always done historically even if we were to really press pause and think about some of the aspects of our community whether that shouldn't indeed you know evolve and adapt and change yeah. potentially even stop in some we, we cannot point a finger can we we really struggle we to really point fail to look inwardly at what we're doing and say you know what i think we can do this better or we're beyond that now like, you know, times have changed enough. And in order to safeguard hunting and hunting culture and the use of hunting and sustainable natural resources in the future as part of management and conservation and ecosystem services, we really do need to be able to adapt quicker than it's forced upon us. Yeah. Quicker than change is forced upon us. Because yeah, I think so. it, when things are forced upon us, they will they very often change in a way that we don't want. And this kind of goes back to the very beginning of this podcast about being pro- proactive. Uh, and I would say as a community, whether that be individuals or particularly organizations, I just do not think we are proactive enough. No. And I, it's really difficult, isn't it? There's a lot of... God, I'm kicking the table and getting shouted at. Um, I th- I th- there's a lot of stuff. I was speaking to somebody the other day that there's now a consultation in the Cairngorm National Park about ATVs. Yes, I did hear this. And this is this is now apparently for some people this is a really big deal about how much people are using ATVs and how much keepers especially are using quad bikes and cats and all these things and it's really difficult because there is a school of thought that said well before there was quad bikes there was a lot more game keepers you didn't have to cover as much ground you walked everywhere a lot of people had bicycles you know they stalked smaller beats there wasn't the need for you know, big Arga cat journeys to get into where you were stalking or whatever. And the, the, there is a real discussion happening around that. And I think that I don't really, I, I, I don't know. I'm not involved in that consultation at all. A friend of mine is, I think he's um, tearing his hair out a little bit about it, but um, I, I, I'm not familiar with how that is being pitched and what they're aiming to do, whether they're aiming to cut down ATVs completely. Uh, but there is definitely, I mean, that. And I, you know, people are always looking for the easy life, and I think it's a hard job at the best of times. And you know, things that help you are always a bonus. But you know, we the, all these challenges, like you say, are being whether we are in the right or in the wrong, like them or not. Every part of what we do is is being it's examined yeah. by someone for whatever reason. Um, and I think you're right in that if we're if if rather than examining our, examining ourselves, we just stick our head in the stands and blindly say, no, actually, we, we like what we do. We do what we like. It's right because it's... In, and, our, you know, this, uh, this, this debate is going on for years, isn't it? You know, what do you... You know, do you pull the plug on certain aspects of, of it because, well, what is that, you know, should... Should uh, the countryside of lions be defending hair coursing and trying to bring it back as an argument? You know, something that we have that's been banned, that some people would say shouldn't have been banned. 
some people think should have been banned. I bet there's a lot of people that shoot now and are country people or would identify themselves as country people now that would be staunchly against hair coursing. But at the time, you know, it it's all very... I think it's all very... When things, when things get lost, I think we're very quick to say that they're not part of it anymore. But then when we've got things, we don't want to let go of them, if that, if that makes sense. I think we've got a bit of a reluctance to, like you say, sort of examine ourselves and say, well, what's the, for the greater good, to quote Hot Fuzz, what's the, what's the, what's the I best? I think you quoted, <laughs> quoted Hot Fuzz in the last podcast. The greater good. <laughs> such a, I'm pretty just, sure you did. Such a great, <laughs> such a great line. Um, but yeah, I think there's, you know, there's that, well, do we, you know, do we, do do we turn around and point the finger at ourselves and say, well, we could be doing this better or do we, do we not give an inch? Do we stand and just say, absolutely, you know, this is all we've got left. We can't hair cause the hunting acts restricted fox hunting so heavily. You know, we've, we've lost so much. We can't afford to lose any more. Or do you say, actually, you know, there's some, we can trim down what we're doing and make it more. Yeah. I, mean, I don't even see it as, big... I see it more as just really having the ability to take a very honest look. Yeah, and asking those bigger picture questions, uh, where, and this isn't—I've been accused of this before. I remember having—I was having a kind of heated debate around a table just a couple of weeks ago. You know, are you saying that we can't say that we enjoy what we do? Are you saying that we can't say that we enjoy hunting? And it's not about that. It is, yeah. I mean, we, we've already talked about it on this podcast about you know how much enjoyment we get out of yeah. the experience. But just because you enjoy something doesn't mean that it should go on. So, yeah, we are allowed to enjoy it. I think we should be able to explain why we enjoy the the activity of hunting. But we equally need to be able to look at all the aspects and you know all the trimmings of various activities that go on and just make sure that just because we've done them since forever, that it really, really makes sense. You know, for the animals that we are protecting or culling or the environments that we are managing, is there a better way of doing it? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And then you and then you think about look, just taking the hunting ban as an example. Uh, so and by hunting ban, we are talking about... The, uh, the, the fox hunting ban in, in England. England and the restrictions yep. in Scotland. Um, you take that and you sort of sit there and you go, right, okay, well, we can't do this and this is why. And there's a sort of logic there, but it's not very clear logic. And how long it happened before it was banned? For such a lot, for like 15,000, when was dog, where were dogs domesticated? 15,000 years ago? I long should ago? know that. I should know that too and I don't. Between 18 and 32,000 years ago. I wasn't that far off. No, you weren't. I can take that. Shall we just cut in and pretend that I was really clever and knew that it was exactly 18 to 32,000? <laughs> uh, so about 18 to 32,000 years ago, when, do, when dogs were domesticated, you know, that was dogs, dogs, anyway, however long ago it was, dogs were domesticated for the purpose of hunting. And this great relationship that we have with dogs comes about through this. Um, and the, this great history we've got on things. And then to take that away or to try and take that away in in my opinion, relatively flimsy circumstance is just seems pretty devastating to me. And I think that is, that's, that's why there is that initial, there is that fear is that I think 
we've been shortchanged a lot mm-hmm. before. That's fair. And I just think there is this, if we give them an inch, they'll take a yard. And, uh, you know, historically there's definitely, you know, you read, you read the old, um, you read the old hunting books and there is, you know, there is a bagged fox and it, there's newspaper articles where they talk about hunting a bagged fox and things. And there was times where, you know, absolutely indefensible practices happened within, within fox hunting and, maybe you can sort of see how some people would just jump on the fact, well, therefore it must be bad. A bit like the trophy hunting thing. You know, we go back to that. It's this it's this sort of quick moral judgment of, well, that doesn't sound good, so let's ban it. And the, the, the shades of grey and all these things are so bloody complicated. I think that's I think that's really difficult. So I can see why, especially the older, you know, the older generations who've seen a lot of this go, yeah, you know, but I don't miss hair coursing because hair coursing was banned when I was pretty bloody tiny. I think I, I remember. It. I, 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 I I miss shrimping for salmon, although I never did it <laughs> because I read about it and it was a skill that I always wanted to have, but it yeah. was banned long time. Before. I remember Dad telling me it was really hard to do. There's a, a, a huge, huge amount of skill, huge skill in shrimping huge salmon. Skill. Anyway, um, side yeah. but the, but this is it so I don't really I'm never going to fight to get hair coursing back because I never hair coursed because I think I was about five when it was banned yeah um, and it would be I, but then I would be really sad because you know maybe if I have children maybe they'll never see fox hunting and I was really sad when that was banned and I'm quite staunchly for it even though I don't think we'll ever get it back now um so it's it's just it's so difficult, isn't it? There's so many so many layers on all these things, and like you say, there's sort of you need to be able to look at everything. I think if you can look at what you do yourself quite critically, which we've talked about before as well, if you can look at what you yourself do with a sort of relatively critical eye, and if you can justify what you're doing to yourself, whether that is in terms of the hunting you're doing or the decisions you made in you making, whether or not you're a vegan, I mean, you know. I think if you can justify things to yourself, then that's always a good start. I think if you've got to sit there and go, God, is this all like, should I be doing this? Probably shouldn't be. It's always a good sort of, a good bit of way. But yeah, yeah, I think, um, I think there's a definite, there's a definite need for some sort of self-identification for it, isn't it? Because like you say, otherwise we're never going to get ahead of the curve. We're always just going to be chasing our tail. Yeah. uh, It's a hard one. I mean that's why that's why we do this podcast. It's why uh, we're involved in Modern Huntsman. It is to you know, evolve and adapt the narrative it's to make it to make you know, ethical and moral hunting in all its forms. You know, from fishing to what we have been discussing as you know trophy hunting, as it's tagged now, uh, better understood and and but and make sure that it legitimately has a role because ultimately if any of the things that we're talking about doing have long-term negative effects on either the or even short-term negative effects on the the welfare of those animals animals linked in the environment or that environment then i think it's probably safe to say we shouldn't be doing it yeah no, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's a fair point. I think the really interesting thing, um, for me with the, the like you say that that sort of that narrative change, if you want to call it that, with the, the, this whole and it's in the past. Will it be in the past? When did you when did you do your first series of films, you and Daryl? When was that? When was in four years? That ago. was called Into the Wilderness. Yeah, yeah, four years ago. So that was four years ago. I'm trying to think what I thought about the industry. 
before then, let's say, because they were, I would say you were in the, I remember the first, I remember the first, the first sort of, in very much inverted commas, like deep, uh, deep sort of uh, narrative um, film that I saw. It was a film called Searching for West. Oh yeah, brilliant. It was Sitka Gear. That was probably about seven years ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And that was actually, that was, so it was that film that I, first saw Sitka Gear. Um, and then they made a lot more films. They did, yeah. A lot of that was under serious. Brad Christian, who we interviewed on the podcast. Not that was long. it really? Yeah. I did not know well, he was involved and not, he wasn't there when Searching for West yeah. was made, but after. Yeah, and I think that was, th- that, and I remember, I remember watching Searching for West um, when I lived on Speyside and I remember watching it and thinking, holy shit, I've never seen. Because, I mean, do you remember I'm just trying to think what we have. Like, Field Sports Britain's been going a long time. And that's there, there, was, there was nothing like Searching no, for West. Was... Because Searching for West, if I'm not mistaken, even came before Donnie Vincent's first film. Yeah, possibly. I think so. I struggle with Donnie Vincent. Yeah? That's probably a really unpopular thing to say, isn't it? In what way? I don't identify. I, I, I sort of... I don't. I don't know. I just... I, just, I don't... I watch, I've watched one of his full-length films. And I just which it, one it was beautifully shot. Was it the one about Steve the the whitetail? No, it wasn't. It uh, was about the Terra Nova for the oh, um, uh, on the island. Yeah, yeah. It was that I think. Um, I don't. I don't know. I just. I. I struggle. I. Ju- I. I. I just. I just struggle with it. It's just not for me. But then, to be fair, and this is being, I when I first watched your and Daryl's film, I wasn't a massive fan of that. Is a revelation on the podcast. <laughs> Four beers in, and it's it's a slowly it's, it's all me, coming out. Take, take me three uh, years. Well, I think we're done. To finally, <laughs> to finally infiltrate, separate Byron from Daryl, and then character assassinate <laughs> their early work. But I did because I remember I watched the film. We were talking about it earlier, weren't you? We went and shot a stag on Skype. Yeah, yeah, we were. And I remember watching that. I remember the first time I watched it, and I was like, "Well, this is weird because that's not what that wasn't that wasn't deer stalking to me." It was very. It, that was I very different. Yeah. I didn't know about you. I well, you wrote in the shooting, the sporting rifle. Yeah. And I didn't, other than that, I don't think I was aware of you at all. Uh, it was a long time before we met. Yeah. And I, yeah, I watched that, and I, I don't know if I watched it with someone or what, but I just remember thinking that, well, that's just not for me because that's not why. That's not. It's not traditional stalking. It's not country. traditional stalking, and I, I remember just sort of thinking, I, 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 I don't know if that, I don't know, and then I watched. You made a few of them, didn't you? Because I'm so my memory is terrible. But there was another film where you were just at the road from you. Oh, Invermark. Yeah, you were sorting rodeo. I didn't. I, yeah, and I didn't know if I was allowed to know where you were. But yeah, you were Invermark, um, and you were stalking rodeo, and that I really liked. Huh. But I remember that first film when you're on Sky. I'm just going, is this like, is this, is this, uh, are these Scottish people trying to make Scotland like America? Is this like trying to? Or is that and and now now I know you and now I've seen a lot more of what you've you know we spent a lot of time together and we've talked about a lot of stuff and everything else and seen a lot more of your films. I know that that's actually what you you just went out to do what you enjoy doing, which I have a lot of respect for and I really like. And it's not that I object to that you know like I don't have a problem with what you did. I just remember watching the film and just being like, it's not really for me. And I think that's the Donnie Vincent thing. Although what he does is really cool. It is a it's a I mean it's a very different world. And I he just, goes into it in in a depth that is. 
very unique to him. Yeah, and I, uh, and I don't know whether that is too deep for me, whether I'm just not... Maybe you're not deep enough, Sam. I, th- I think there was probably a lot in that. Because, I mean, the not... counter to me, like, when I... One of the great motivations for myself and Daryl starting our company was the first Donnie Vincent film I ever saw. I was like, really? holy shit. Like, I have not seen... Like, this yeah. does not exist in Europe. Yeah. There, are, I, there, there is Searching for West. Yeah. Uh, there was maybe one other Sitka film at the time. And there was Donnie Vincent. And at the time, Uncharted, I think, had maybe just started with Jim Shockey. Which right, okay. was an inc- see, I've, still I've ne- to this day is an incredible series. I've never, I've never watched any of Jim Shockey's. The films. first season of Uncharted is exceptionally good, yeah. and his son Branlon, who was the director of photography, that is brilliant. Right, I'm in, um, I'm I haven't seen the later ones, but the first season I have, and it's amazing. So I remember watching Searching for West and being like, "Oh, this is really, this is something really cool." Uh, and at that time, fly fishing films. Fly fishing in, films were ahead of the curve. Fly fishing films have always been a bit ahead because fly fishing is cooler. It is. Fly fishing sits with mountaineering. It sits... It, it, and it shows it at those kind space. of festivals. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you can see... I mean, Frontside... I don't know if you've ever come across Frontside Fly and people like that, but they were making like really fantastic films. Beautifully shot. I think one of the issues that, that fly fishing films have, uh, and I think it's got worse rather than better... Is that it has become fly fishing porn with very little narrative? No, and I like, beautifully shot films with absolutely. zero substance. And I, you know, I Not completely all them, agree with that. But and a I, lot of there them. was a period of time. Um, there's a there's a wonderful film, and I have a strange. So I'm just thinking of my as a great, and I'm a great admirer of artistic films, and I'd like to think that I have a little understanding of it because I have dabbled and been around film production a little bit. But there was Searching for West. There was Yeti hadn't started making films at that point. Oh, Yeti, Yeti made some tremendous stuff. But later on, yeah, Sitka, no, quite a few years after, yeah, did, yeah, because um, I, I last three years. just just thinking in my head of of the films that I really like that are now a lot. They had an amazing Marlon one. Yeah, the Yeti the Yeti oh, films. Early. I remember the first. I'm watching the first Yeti film that I saw was on YouTube, and I watched it, and then watched it immediately yeah. again. And I always think Carter that's like, Andrews, I think, was the one that one of my favourites. You've got a hell of a memory, haven't you? No, it's just a, I don't. It's shit. <laughs> I just somehow remember. I'm um, sure his name was Carter Andrews. Yeah, and so so they were searching for West, and at the same time, there was a wonderful film on. Because I remember Vimeo was quite a big deal then. And yeah. There was quite a lot of cool. There was Frontside Fly, who were a Scandinavian bunch Hook. of guys making uh, trout fishing films mainly, who made some really great, um, kind of not not I wouldn't say basic would be very unfair to them, but it was it was their original stuff was very unprofessional. It was it was, but it raw. was nicely yeah it was raw. That's exactly the term. It was raw. It was really cool, and uh, and I identified with that a lot because it was very clear they were just really passionate people, just doing what they loved doing, and I, and I really like that. There was also a fantastic film made which I still rate very highly, and I as as the funny world goes round, um, there's a wonderful film called Why I Go to Scotland. I don't think I've seen Which you I I wouldn't be surprised if, if you it? hadn't. It was made. Where's it on Vimeo? So it, yeah, it's on, it's on Probably Vimeo. It is it is it's uh, John Gardner is is the chap who features in it heavily, uh, and it is a video of him hawking that was made by one of his friends who I think makes stuff for the BBC, but it wasn't a commercial project. But it is just a really beautifully shot. Nice film in Mauritius, hawking grouse with pointers and 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 hawks. With Doesn't seem to be on YouTube, but um, uh, I think it's, I think it's on Vimeo. Okay. Um, and 
but that and I remember seeing that and being like oh my god you know you can and it sounds really stupid now but like you can't there is this and and I don't know why I'd never thought of it or seen it before but I there is this art there is this you know we can make cool films yeah and it never crossed my mind before because the films we had in Britain at that point we had Team Wild and the field sports and, and you know that's it's very that's their TV. gig and that's what they do it's yeah it's TV. this kind of weird yeah it's TV it's not films there's not art in that for me um, I wouldn't I wouldn't particularly watch watch that um, uh, but the the searching for West came there was another great film and I wish I, the the soundtrack was the hip hop Ipola by. <laughs> Sigur Ross. I can't okay. quite remember that. And it's again, it was non-commercial, uh, shot by I think some art student or somebody from down south. About a week, a lodge somewhere in the Highlands, stalking and fishing, and that was a really beautiful film. Because I remember talking as we were earlier about doing the Hebridean yeah. film with the peaks. Now, quite a long time ago, probably five, six years ago. Um, I remember we watched a lot of those films, and we were trying to like. I think I think like for glean Will, elements. I think for Will and Al, they were trying to, you know, they wanted to make films. I at the time was was you know really taken up with it and was really enjoying the process of it. Um, and I think they were looking for a bit of style. We were trying to work out what we do and all these things. So we we watched a lot of them, and I remember that. And I wish I knew what it was called. Um, but yeah, and that was that was on. I think that was on Vimeo or YouTube. But it was just a really nice story. And I think that was when I really twigged that it could be, it could be actual storytelling that we could do, not through magazine articles because I'd written at that point a little bit and whatnot. But I think that that sort of change, like you say, you talk about that narrative change that Modern Huntsman now has through through Tyler Sharp and uh, all these wonderful contributors that you guys have got. And I actually don't think that 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 imprint narrative change that Modern Huntsman's brought about. I would trace more directly to that very artistic photography and filmmaking that I noticed, and it, it was maybe going on much before, but I noticed probably six or seven years ago yeah. for the first time. And it's not that I, 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 I'm the last person to say I was ahead of a trend or anything like that. I mean, I've no idea how I ended up finding Searching for West. Yeah. Um, I don't really know either. But, uh, but it's yeah. fascinating because like you say now, I, I fly fishing films, that there is a lot there's a lot of people making a lot of high quality product. Oh, production wise, it's high, but the narrative tends. The to narrative, be I know, and I do wonder if there's a little bit of. I wonder if you can only tell so many stories. Uh, maybe because you you're you're. A, I, I do a little bit of storytelling. You do a lot more than I do, though. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think you run out of stories? <sighs> I think to some extent that is true. Uh, if I was to think about how my writing has changed. Uh, I don't know if it's got really much better, um, but I used to write a lot of stories, as in, I went hunting. I showed us that, you know, the basics. Uh, and I, I still, to this day, I think I got an email last week from one of the publications I write for on a regular basis, on a monthly basis. Uh, hey, uh, it's like end of hind season coming up. Can you write a hind stalking story? And my response when for the last couple of years has been, uh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to write a story about stags. I'm not going to write a story about going... Because that same story, unless something exceptional happens, I haven't learned... What I've learned in that day, I, I always learn something when I'm out in a day. But it might be tiny. It might be very nuanced. 
So, the, but the, the the bulk of that story has not changed. I went out. The weather was crap. If I was we in crawled Scotland. about, we, we didn't crawled. Think we I got wet. Then we did I, shoot some. Exactly. So now my writing is very much focused on the the deeper guts of what role hunting plays in the greater scheme of management and conservation. Yeah, and it requires a lot more research. It requires a lot more conversations. I try and thread a little bit of a story in there. You know, if it's a place that I've been or experience that I've had, but the story is not the main thing I want people to take away from it. I and I and I stopped doing it because I got bored. I was getting bored with myself I, because there are only so many ways you can tell I went and shot a hind. But I, but we were talking about that earlier and the fact that I pointed you to a magazine and I was like the article I've got in that magazine is like the first article i've written in a while that i really liked yeah which is probably a really terrible thing to do but i found that i i'm actually drawn now if, to, to write stories when people ask me for articles and ask me for, for ideas for stuff and it's not it's not nearly as regular as, as yourself but um i like i i like researching and i like writing about things exactly that, I find interesting and that I necessarily and it gives me an stalk. it gives me an for now it like it gives me an excuse because I'm being paid for it yeah absolutely. to dedicate a lot more time into yeah. learning about a topic and to, and, go on a, to, and to go on a jolly and to go on a jolly and it gives me an excuse to speak to people who know a shitload more than I do and it gives them a reason to speak to me so I can learn something from them and regurgitate it in a way that other people can learn things on a wider platform and for me that's what that's absolutely. what's exciting and, and it's beyond just an a to b story yeah. and the and, and the best the best example i've got of that is probably i did a series for field sports before just before on the cusp of its reinvention as the field sports journal i did a series that will pocklington who was the then editor commissioned me to do on the different species of deer um and i wrote uh, i wrote a piece about secret and a couple of other bits but um i i, I went to norfolk and spent three days with a chap who's who's become a good friend of mine, a guy called Rob Minty. Oh yes, who's a stalker down there. And I wrote, I wrote a piece. I went muntjac stalking with him. We shot some muntjac. We spent a lot of time walking around, not shooting muntjac, looking at stuff. Pardon me. Beer. The beer. Which and and that just oh my pints once again empty. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and uh, you know we spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time just chatting to him because I didn't know anything about muntjac. I'd never seen a muntjac. I mean, I you know. I I don't know the first thing about managing them, and we just I had a phenomenal time. I think I was with them for like four four days or something, and and the, the yeah that we talked you know the the pictures that accompanied that article were about me stalking my first muntjac, and it was mainly nothing to do with me stalking that muntjac, um, which was really awkward actually because I couldn't see the bloody thing. <laughs> um, it was absolutely. I, I looked over the top of it. I nearly didn't shoot it at That's all. Because you're used to looking at. Red deer. Yes, muchos bigger deer. Um, and it was about 30 yards away, mate, sat under this bloody tree, and I just couldn't see the thing, couldn't see the thing. And I did eventually. I just shoot <laughs> Roughly, it. Did he's, all, he's, like, he's like three foot shorter than me. Yeah. He's like a little hobbit man. So I think he, like you and he are probably looking at them at eye level. And for me, it's like, I, I feel like I'm looking uh, for marbles. All you got to do is make a ginger joke now, and then we're complete. <laughs> Uh, the ferret himself. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, like, and that—that's that was one of the most of all the things I've ever written. Um, that is that is up there as one of the most interesting and one of the pieces that I would probably go back and read. Not that I do that, but I think I would go back and <laughs> go read. Go back and read. 
That was mighty fine yeah, wordsmithing there, what Sam. A fucking phenomenal bit of writing, Thompson. <laughs> oh God, you're such a genius. Um, actually, they're all framed. As, as Barkin said, every single oh, well, word the I've the ever, ever written is, pe- yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I think, I think I, that's why I love writing articles. I love, I love using it basically to go and be a bit of a geek. And that's why I podcast yeah, because exactly. it gives me an excuse to speak to people. Yeah. Who might otherwise never speak to me? Yeah. I certainly, um, I pick, certainly wouldn't and speak p- to you. And pick their brains so I can learn more. Half of which yeah. I forget almost not, immediately. Not in this podcast. Not in this podcast. We never learn anything. Very in this little podcast. brain picking. Other than the fact that nobody bloody pays us on time. Um, <laughs> That's going to be the takeaway from this. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Podcast number one hundred and seventy-two. Invoicing with Sam Thompson. Um, <laughs> if, we, if we label this invoicing, nobody will listen to it. <laughs> or a whole reef of accountants will start downloading <laughs> into this podcast you never know um no i th- i that's why i love certainly the, the storytelling that i do and i'd like to, I, it's something it's funny i don't think i don't think i could make films i don't know, I think i've got the capacity to it but it appeals to me because it, it is just storytelling and it's it's you have this great ability and photography and words have that too and in a lot of way words what i find really interesting is when you read old books when you read, uh, what what was I throwing at you earlier? Sinjin's uh, Sports in the Highlands. God, I should remember what it's called. Um, when you read that, it's incredibly descriptive writing, which I really like. And it's because they were writing, the book was going to be read by people that couldn't see a photograph of it. Um, and in a way, films, I guess, are a bit lazy because with a film, you can show people, a bit like with photography, exactly what it is. You don't have to describe necessarily how an elephant moves because you can film an elephant moving and then yeah. people know uh, which I do like about writing but I, I I love I think storytelling is such and it's funny when we go back to that like culture and the whole hunting world I think storytelling is such an important part of that like if you think about I think about some of the best I think it's one of our one of the been one of our problems in the last maybe two to three decades it. our storytelling has become very one dimensional yeah and I think if you were to compare stories from yeah, you know, the could, last decade yeah. compared to 50 years ago and see the reverence with which and the time taken to talk about the places that people were in and the animals that they were either pursuing or the animals that they encountered along the way, it is very different to the vast majority of writing that you see today. That's very true. And actually, when I just just thinking myself about what I read... I would. I will pick up a Lee McNally book, just without thinking about it. I'll pick up a book by Grail or by Stephenson or by Sinjin or by McConaughey, and they are, like you say, not many. Very few of the books that I have read and would read again in a heartbeat are younger than thirty years old. There's something to be said in that. Probably. Um, and yeah, maybe I've got to read Pilgrims. Talking about Grail, I've got to read Pilgrims of the Wild. Again. Pilgrims of the Wild is good. Have you read Men of the Last Frontier? I, Pilgrims of the Wild is the only of one of his books I've read. Actually, have you? I've got the. Um, it was given to me got, by a podcast. Or something. Yeah, I know, and it's an original. Yeah. It's a first edition. I know. And you're like, lord this over me. It really annoys <laughs> me. Um, I've got somewhere. I've got his complete works, but I don't know why I'm looking around here because it's definitely not here. Um, no, I didn't. No, fuck. I nearly bought it the other day and I didn't buy it. I was going to buy it and then I didn't buy it. I talked myself out of it because I own all of the complete works, oh. not in one anthology. Okay. I, I get. I, I have a weird. I have a weird penchant for buying old books. I like. I old love. Books. I love old books. I love old books. I have a lot of old fishing books. Yeah, 
I like. I but like I've started to um, read out with the field sports genre, quite me. deliberately. So more. I like books about books. explorers. I'm reading books about death right now. Well, that's cheery, mate. Yeah, it gives you an interesting perspective on life, actually. What do you mean by a book about death? Uh, it's called Being Mortal, uh, and it's about the you know the process of getting old and dying, basically, and how different cultures treat or respect or celebrate death and, and in that life there's a, a just a just a, a recommendation for a good book which again i can't i don't know i keep looking around as if they'll be <laughs> on the wall there's a wonderful book uh that my father lent to me that i will maybe have we to, should do a book review podcast we should do a book review podcast yeah. well i can be incredibly dull <laughs> sorry carry mm. on yes the interesting thing about this uh, yeah anyway um, <laughs> that's my dull person voice that i, use. I actually listened to a, a a communal book review recording podcasty type thing on women's hour today on radio for a while Did i was you? driving in yeah it, it was actually very dull. it is it is non-stop party <laughs> on the into the wilderness podcast um yeah there's a book my father lent me which i wish i could remember the name of um a, a, a fishing book but not really a fishing book and that's something that fishing books do very well yes like the very few Falkers said there's more to fishing than catching fish and i think fishing books have this wonderful ability to sort of be about life and but I to love be Falkers. on the face of it face of it about fishing um and it was it weirdly came up and it was dad bought one and loved it and i read it and thought it was very very good um, and all of our listeners are going to be left hanging because Sam no, because I'm going to no, I'm going to work it out if I can't think of it during the the course of this uh, pubcast, um, then I will find it and out. I'll mention and it we'll, in the intro. We, you can Byron can mention it in the intro, or we can put like footnotes. Yeah, we should do footnotes of like Sam's top ten reads, <laughs> uh, <laughs> featuring entirely works by Sam Thompson. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, but anyway, the, the, one to six. The reason I brought it up, the reason I bring it up is yeah. because I was listening to either Yeti's Drifting podcast. I've not listened possibly, to that. That's really good with uh, J T Van Zandt. Okay, I'm gonna have to look. Well that up. worth listening. Some really cool. Don't start listening to this one, but go and listen to the. Yeah, video. go and after when you've while this is playing, go and subscribe to the yeah. Drifting podcast uh, by Yeti and J T Van Zandt. Uh, but I think it was on that, and uh, they had like a really well-known American fishing writer on it, or it might have been on Meaty. It was an American podcast, a good American podcast, and they had this um, American fishing writer who sort of has written many, many, many books and, and was really famous. And they asked him his recommendations, and he brought up this weird little Englishman's book about fishing that wasn't really about fishing. And I'm dying because I can't remember what it's called. We will it's find called it. Tidelines. No, stick it, it in the intro. Tidelines is a wild finding book that's also very good. Um, Tidelines, is that by um, that's not Peter Begbie? Scott, no? Eric Begbie, maybe? Oh, okay. I think Eric Begbie. I've got a well book by Eric Begbie that's very good. I've uh, something that is I think if 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 people are listening that buy presents for people that like shooting and other things, um th- there is there is the most wonderful... Christmas is over by the time this podcast goes out. Yeah, for true. birthdays, maybe. You've got a lot of time to look for them then. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just say that um, you you will never go wrong with, with sporting literature. Especially, yeah, especially old ones. Like I was going to say, like knock 50 years off. So don't buy anything after, say, 1950, 1960. 
Um, and if you if you if you hunt through that sort of time period, oh, uh, you won't go wrong. There's some great books, and if you really want to spend some money, buy yourself an original Scrope, The Art of Deer Stalking, because nobody's ever going to reprint it. Um, they cost a lot of money now. It's a beautiful book to read. It will only increase in value. It's a sound investment. Like so, a we've talked we've talked about invoicing. We've talked about sound investments. <laughs> and Land Rovers got mentioned at the end. Oh yeah, and we mentioned Land Rovers and probably I, at least once. Yeah. So and I think I'm that's a, probably a mighty fine way to finish this podcast. I think it might be. I think we should seriously consider doing a book review podcast. Yeah, we should. Or do maybe a book like review. I don't know a monthly news one. We should do. A book Are you going to be moving any closer to where I live? I'm, I'm moving to Achnasheen, mate. Yeah. So no. Yeah, but you can come and visit. It's only like it'll be forty-five. What minutes we do less. like twelve podcasts in one go, so I can just put them out <laughs> once a month. <laughs> no, we should. We should do. We should do a book review. Definitely, I think a book review would be fun. Uh, we, could we, we, we could do it. We could do it at each of our houses. Oh, we so could. We, you could come to my house. Yeah. We could look at my library, yeah. and we could like pull books. That is quite and then a good I could come idea. to your house, and we could do the same. Because I, we probably have a lot of books That's that don't cross over. That's such a good actually. idea. Yeah, we should do that. Because yeah. my my uh, my fishing and hunting and conservations are all pro- probably about the same number of books. But my you'll fishing have, used to be bigger. But you'll have a lot of books about Africa as well, aren't you? Quite a lot. I got a whole See, I don't have a lot of books about Africa. I have a few. I've got a good book next door actually that somebody had let me. Uh, I need to go and read some of those books. Some of them I haven't read. Yeah. They're in my book. Case. I'm bad for that as well. I know, it's like I, I know I'm going to want to read this, and stick then I, them I over don't there. have the time. Never get around to them. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm I I love I love a good book, and I like um, I particularly like. I find it really interesting as well when you can go back and you can like look at how when you can read books from the formation of the things that we take for granted now, like how deer stalking came about, for me, is just a fascinating thing to read about. It is amazing. When there was this whole thing where the idea of professional stalkers was like just laughed at because it was unsporting to have someone do it for you. And now you look where we are and it's, it's all changed so much. So yeah, I think that's a good, a good end point. I also get kicks out of reading my notes because I write a lot of notes in books. Do you? Or, or, like in the actual book? In the book. I, I used to detest the idea of somebody defacing a book See, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. but I I write them uh, increasingly recently especially if it's like a paperback I'll just write it in pen um, but I mean I wouldn't do that for like a first edition or something but you know a lot of books are just paperback they're kind of dis- they're kind of feel disposable although that they're not to me I put them in my bookshelf but yeah I write notes on them or look, put little stickies if there's something and underline stuff and it's interesting even if like a couple of years have passed I go back and look and it's like I took I took the time to highlight this because it obviously meant something to yeah. me at the time, even though I can't remember. I am um, when I started reading like oh, seriously sounds weird, but when I started reading sort of like proper grown up adult books and not the Beano, yeah, not the Beano. My dad's a big uh, T. Lawrence fan, Lawrence of Arabia fan, mm. and he pushed me to read the Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and I found the copy of the Seven Pillars of Wisdom that I read when I was quite young for reading the seven pillars of wisdom which is quite a hard book and i found it the other day when i was when i was down at mum's and um there's like all these post-it notes and stuff stuck in it and i was like god look at all these notes i made and i was really proud i was like god i was such an intelligent child <laughs> and i went back through it and it's literally just post-it saying look this up what does <laughs> this you mean? Didn't know. yeah it was literally just things that, things that i needed a dictionary for and i must have gone through it and been like right when i get to the end of the book i'll go back and look them all up and i'm i, I never did mainly because it's an absolute leviathan of a book and it takes a lot of reading oh, that's a great word what leviathan yeah i like it's that. a good that's you a, know something i've a solid uh, four this is the last word, thing i want to say it? before we close this podcast down is it's something that i've been trying to be more disciplined about and that is if I come across something, read, or I hear something, and it's one of those words, I kind of know the con- from the context or it's something I've heard a million times before, and I understand where it's used and how it's used, and I could probably maybe just use it myself, but don't truly grasp what it means. 
look it up. Because you, there are so many words. If you think about it, now that I've mentioned yeah. it, right? There are so many uh, words that get used which we maybe don't fully grasp. And it's like, okay, I've spent years. Yeah, let me look that up. I, I do it probably once or twice a week now. And what I just I take believe, the time because you've I always got this in your pocket, this phone in your pocket. Just freaking Google it. I can't remember half of them. But at least if I look it up once or twice, maybe it'll stick. What I, what I believe the leader of the free world refers to as the bigly words. Bigly? Bigly words. Okay. Did you not, did you not remember that speech he um, gave yeah. where somebody said he, he sort of had a poor vocabulary? I, I'm and assuming he, you're talking about Mr. Trump. I am talking about the Donald. Um, <laughs> He's in he, Scotland. No. Is he is in he? Scotland? Is he? He's here in the UK right now. Talking right. about talking about uh, NATO. Get him on the podcast. Yes, he he <laughs> he he, he um, didn't go to the climate change meeting, which is at the same time he went to the NATO one instead. Everyone was right, very okay. upset about it. Well, anyway, he I remember when he was uh, when he was being elected or was running for office or whatever the term is. Um, there was a speech he gave, uh, and he he it, I remember watching the video, and somebody basically insulted his grammar, <laughs> a small vocabulary or, or something, and he literally said. What are you t- saying? I know, I know all the words. I know the bigly words, or something <laughs> like. That. It was absolutely brilliant. I just want to think what a fantastic way of defending yourself. It's just, it's just flawless. <laughs> you couldn't fault the man for just his stature as he said this, and I just sort of went, "What the fuck are you on about?" Uh, I don't it's think there's a better thing. way to uh, finish than on Trump. Absolutely, <laughs> Sam. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show again. My pleasure. It's been delightful as always. Uh, I think we might need to make it maybe less than a year before yeah. you come on again absolutely i'll come in i mean we've we've done how how well have we done is that almost I, finished i think i don't think we're far away and bear in mind this I is have five to get up at like seven o'clock in the morning this is five liters of uh we, citrus five liters of beer. we haven't smashed it i think we've got a couple There's some to go. chocolates left to eat so, so what we'll do that. yeah we've got some chocolate left to eat as well so, so we we're can gonna turn talk the about all the things that we can't record and we can now <laughs> be absolutely horrible to each other not on the podcast but i think we should do i think we should do like a we should do a literary review I think that's a I plan. Think be quite for 2020. Fun. Yeah. What else might be quite fun is if we go back, th- if we like, if we take, how long have you been writing for? When did you write your first article? Do you know, I was, I was working this out the other day and I think I was 19 or 20. So, and you're now 12 years, 13 years, 13 years. So I've been I, writing. I honestly do not want to read any of that early because, no. of shit, because it probably was really shit. <laughs> yeah. and I, fact, that's what I think it wasn't well. probably really shit. It, it was. was. <laughs> I don't know why Charlie, my first editor was Charlie Jacoby. So was mine. And I have no idea why he printed that bollocks. It's hilarious. But he it? did. And then he, he, <laughs> he fed the, he fed the monster. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately and look, for everybody else, I like, carried on writing. Ever Charlie, since. Charlie published, I think we, we, have we maybe talked about this? People who listen to the podcast with me are incredibly bored because <laughs> I've got no memory for anything. We must talk about the same thing every year. This is identical <laughs> to the last podcast we did. But is it? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah, Charlie was the first, he published my first article, uh, shit, 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, we should go in back. What? We should uh, pun in what in the sporting rifle. Just we must be in the same publication we then. Maybe I've written in every God, issue if, for if a decade. Many listeners of the podcast, which you are, if anybody has an issue of the sporting oh, rifle, I'll have it. It'll be you in my have house. It. Yeah, Do I have all of them? them. I have every single one. What that you've ever written in yeah. of anything? Really? I think my mum. The pile mom, would probably get to this roof. Oh, my, I'm not joking. Um, I never wrote very much for the sporting rifle because I think they read that and were like, Jesus. <laughs> That needed too much editing. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll not do that again. But yeah, no, because it was it was not long before Peter Carr took over, who I believe is still the editor. He still is. Um, yeah, no, it, was, it would be twelve years ago that Charlie published my first article there. 
which is probably also. Do you think it would take much for you to work out like the year at least? Twelve. You think it is 19, I think it's 12 because I think okay, I was well, I'll 14. Go, I'll find, find that yeah. at home. I, 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 remember, I remember the pictures. I had a lot of hair. <laughs> Do you remember what I looked like couples? a Lego man. No. No. I think, there was, I, think there was, I think there was a load of photos that were taken of me in a nomad jacket, which was when Philip still made, it wasn't what it is now, where it's this fleece that apparently is waterproof, but it was a fleece that with a liner inside. Yeah, the sweaty one. Um, it was a fleece with a liner inside, which was, I, I don't know if it was good or not. <laughs> the time maybe you thought it was. I, I think I think it was kind of one of those, but I've still got it. Okay. So that's a that's testament to the fact that I never wore it, or that it, <laughs> it wore really well, I can't remember. Because um, I had a Star Manica 243 then. I had the, it was the, was it the Mark II, but the 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 plastic you must have been a ch- like like me you must have been a I was 14 you must have, I was about to say you must have been a child you 14. were a child I was a child yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was 14 and yeah I had a so my the rifle I had then was I had a Steyr 243 with a T8 on it amazed you could write at 14 yeah well I still can't by a lot of people's standards <laughs> um, I'm very much learning have you seen the big pencil over there <laughs> <laughs> The big uh, Christmas pencil. Yeah, absolutely. You hold with the whole yeah, fist. Yeah, I had a star. I'm just trying to think. I had a star. It was a star. And I had a... I remember I remember um, buying an AIM cheek piece bag. Oh, yes. Because I'd read a thing online about how it improved your cheek yeah. Which now, 12 years later, massive fan of. Wouldn't be without them. At the time, my dad was like, well, that's a load of shit. You don't need that. <laughs> Why have you bought that? I was like, well, it's just all this. And he wouldn't believe it. Um, and it had an 8x56 shrimp bender on it in watering. Classic. And the pictures will be, and I can I can tell you, it will have had a Niglo rucksack sling on it, a T8 with a, what, do you remember the neoprene bushwear covers? Oh, yeah, the big yeah. daddy T8 with the yeah, neoprene covers on in top of it. In case yeah. you didn't kill your D, you could unscrew it and like, beat <laughs> and to death of it. Death. It's only about 18 stone. Um, yeah, with a, All with the a guns shrimp, were like with an eight, over With an 8x56 shrimp bender that I've still got. I mean, and you, still killing they're shit. They're solid. It will that will never never not work. Probably one of the greatest scopes ever made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With without doubt. Well, maybe not because the, the going to low magnification in the woods is really handy. But for low light shooting stuff, for lamping with that Phenomenal. old the thick old German big thick post, big thick posts, slightly thinner but still bloody thick yeah. cross. I mean, for lamping, that was a phenomenal scope. Pardon me. And I think on that note, Sam <laughs> <that laughs> burps. Four, four point <laughs> burps. Beer, beer burps the podcast out. Great to speak to you again, Sam. A pleasure. Thank you very much and for thank having you me. Very thank much. you all for listening. You, yes, you thank you for people. listening. I apologise for my, uh, my ramblings. My, my ramblings. My belching. And, and t- until next my, time. My poor writing. And if anybody can fish out a copy of that magazine, please let don't, us know. We'll stick please, it. Please, please don't put it anywhere public. <laughs> <laughs> Please email it to me privately, uh, or to Byron, but do not, I repeat, do not put it on the internet. You know that if someone finds it, that's exactly what yeah, that is exactly what I'm going to do if I find it else. Because Thank you'll you. see pictures of me with hair like a Lego man. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. All right. Okay. Thanks very much, mate. Bye-bye.
And that's it for another week. You will hear from us in two weeks' time. Well, actually, it'll be a le- little less than two weeks' time because this podcast went out late. We'll be back uh, to putting a show out every second Thursday. Thank you so much for listening and joining us at the start of 2020. Don't forget to enter the competition, which we mentioned at the start, to win a copy of Volume 4 at Modern Huntsman. Make sure you check out the Northern Shooting Show online and get yourself down there in May. Uh, it's going to be a great event. And if it's something that you haven't done for a long time or not done before, go leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. It really helps us reach more and more people. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you all. We'll hear from us shortly. Bye.